0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the 4K 5.0 or the budget friendly solo, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year, we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collar deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon face, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at spartanforge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase, but if you use code bowhunter, you can save 25%, and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. All right, guys, so we've got a great podcast for you today. Mark Levisay from Treeline Pursuits. Uh, talking all of the common misconceptions for elk hunters. So if you're not familiar with Mark, Mark runs Treeline Pursuits, but I think he's most known for um, his e-scouting. So he is just next-level e-scouting. He's created a course, um, much like Jason Samkowiak's whitetail hunting course, um, he's got an e-scouting course. Um, Just Google him. Check him out, Tree Line Pursuits on YouTube, and you'll see um, kind of the level that he's at with that. But, you know, he's been elk hunting for 30 years, uh, very successful, uh, does webinars, um, he does all sorts of speaking engagements, all sorts of things like that. And this guy knows where to find elk, and maybe more importantly, how to get away from people. Um, so, we're talking about the intersection here of finding where the elk go when people pressure them, and then finding where the people don't want to go. Um, and finding those places where those intersect, um, that's what he's all about. Now, Mark runs llamas. Uh, he rents llamas. He does some guiding, some fly fishing guiding, um, all sorts of different things. But um, he is a Missouri guy here to help us out and uh, it's just a really great conversation so i know you guys are going to like that i know um, a lot of guys are you know have always thought about going elk hunting or going elk hunting for the first time or trying to shoot their first elk uh, coming from the east and uh, this podcast is exactly for that but we got to do a little bit of housekeeping Uh, shout out to our new patreons we got mike nutto out in new jersey joey healy in Ohio, and then Marcus McElroy down in Louisiana. So if you're not familiar with Patreon, uh, it's your first time checking out the podcast. Patreon is basically just a crowdfunding for creators that allows the loyal follower of the show to help out with operating costs. Uh, Again, I'm using that new editing program uh, to edit this episode, and I think it turned out great, but let us know what you think. We are building a new studio to provide more consistent video content and an improved recording environment. Um, And all that's done from donations from listeners like you and for as little as 17 cents a day you'd literally walk past that in the parking lot of the hunting area as you were going out there but it really does help us out and through our partners sponsors whatever you want to call them we do great giveaways uh through quarterly giveaways Uh, tacticam this time is giving away a tacticam fisheye package this month that those Tacticam fish eyes, like I said, I really believe that that is going to be the solo killer. I think if you had one of the Tacticam 4K 5.0s, a remote, and one of the wide-angle fish eyes, um, y- you know that's like the perfect beginner one-button, you know, just record your hunt. Now you're not going to be Heartland bow hunter with that by any means, um, but I think you can put together a pretty good video for youtube to show your friends or or whatever and we've got a bunch of those that's what we're going to be running this year um probably frank and ernie are going to be running that exclusively where john and i will be carrying the cameras um but we are also giving away one of the hunting beast tree stands so i was in the second group to order um i didn't didn't get the the first one those are already shipping they were putting them together over memorial day so i'm literally just waiting for that Uh, can't wait to get that in our hands we're going to check it out talk about it a little bit and then send it off to the winner we'll be drawing that winner um you know probably after the fourth of july um so you've still got some time to sign up um base map so base map just got a hold of me. We're going to be having them on the podcast here very soon. We talk a little bit about uh, Basemap and e-scouting and all sorts of stuff on this podcast. Uh, Basemap has some incredible new features. Like, one of the coolest things, right now they have an overlay that tells you the distance. It basically puts out like a a ruler on your screen. Um, And so, as you zoom out, it just goes further and further. So where I see that being beneficial is in the dark where you know that you've got a waypoint up there. You've got a tree that you marked and you're going in there and you're trying to find it. And you can pop that up and it says, all right, it's 60 yards in front of you instead of just using an arbitrary scale. So I think that's going to be super, super helpful. But map gives away a swag pack. They give away one of their pro memberships, and that membership, I mean, it's thirty dollars a month. You can use code Chronicles, and you'll save twenty percent off of that. So that's twenty four dollars for the entire year, two dollars per month, and uh, I think that's probably the best value. You know, as we're talking about e scouting, you know, Mark is really big on Google Earth, but you got to have something for when you're out there in the field, and we talk about all of that here on the podcast. But we do that for uh, base map. Spartan Forge, we heard them in the intro. Um, They give away one year subscription. That app is right on the cusp of of being released. Um, so That's coming up. Zinger Fletchings, I'm going to be shooting Zinger Fletchings at the Total Archery Challenge to give them a full rundown um, and and testing. I mean, right now, backyard distances, uh, normal circumstances, they shoot just fine with my normal arrows, but Total Archery Challenge is really where we're going to be testing those out. Uh, but the guys from Zinger Fletchings are giving away some of those. And then we finally got the link live for the Vitals Live. So all of our Patreons get free access to live webinars t- with many of the guests that we've had on here. Uh, Dan Infall, Garrett Prawl, John Eberhardt, Zach Ferenbaugh. I mean... The list goes on, but guys that are talking about, um, information for public land for getting better, Annie Mae was just on there, Greg Litzinger, um, but by signing up for that, you also get access to the historical, uh, recorded versions, which there's plenty of information in the recorded versions, um. But being there live and being able to ask the question. So as you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, man, I would like to ask this question to Mark or, or you know, any of the other podcasts that you listen to, man, say, I wish I could do that. Um, that's what the Vitals Live is. It's live. You get a chance to ask these questions to these experts. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can check that out on patreon.com forward slash Chronicles. Or uh, just go to Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Go to Bowhunter Chronicles on Instagram. You can sign up. That helps us out tremendously. But while you're there, while you're on our website, while you're on Instagram, we're giving away a 2021 Bowtech Carbon Zion, uh, brand new bow, same bow that I'm shooting. And man, the thing, I'm, I'm super happy with it. Uh, I've been shooting the carbon bows from Bowtech for the last five years, and uh, I mean. This one is no exception. It's just great. Comes with a HHA Tetra single pin as well as an HHA rest. I mean, we're talking a thousand dollar setup. We're going to be giving that away. So you've got like maybe a week to sign up for that. We're going to give this one away before the next podcast drops. So what you need to do is go to com, click the link, sign up to win that. Or, like I say, you can just go to our Instagram, sign up for Patreon. Patreons get additional entries to win this. I mean, if you sign up for Patreon, you're in with multiple entries, but this is for anyone. So, uh, you don't have to be a Patreon to win. We're giving this up. You just got to be signed up by June 10th, Um, and we're actually going to extend that. We're going to be at the Total Archery Challenge, so if you sign up by next Monday, um, you'll be be good. Um, We're glad to be back after the holiday weekend. Thanks for sticking with us, and Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast after the holiday one-week hiatus. And it kind of feels like it's been like a month. uh, It does. Just because we're we're just so used to doing this at such a rapid-fire pace. But uh, we're going to talk some uh, elk hunting we're going to talk, I guess we can call it like high-level elk hunting for beginners with uh, Mark Livesey, uh, Tree Line Pursuits. You may have seen him. Um, he's got a course out now. And uh, one of his podcasts with Cody Rich was like the, the most eye-opening thing when we were going to Idaho the first time. And I'm really happy to have you on tonight, Mark. How are you doing?
1: You're doing great, man. Really great. It's good to be on. It's kind of looking forward to this one I. I really love the Midwestern um, whole elk hunting pursuit. You know, we talked about it a little bit before we got started. And I grew up in Missouri. And so all my years of elk hunting in the beginning days, I just was on I-70, <laughs> you know, driving west. And um, it was weird. I, was, I didn't mention this earlier, but I, I moved to Montana, but I never have hunted Montana. And everybody's like, dude, in 30 years of elk hunting, you never hunted? I said, here's the problem. Back when I started, guys, you could actually draw a New Mexico tag. Like I've had four times. And now the last time I drew a New Mexico tag, I drew one last year. And prior to that it was 21 years ago. And uh, so nowadays, that's just not a, not a thing. But I would hunt New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming. I always had this thing where I had trouble driving through a state the hat elk to get to another state to hat an elk. Right. So, I just, that's kind of that was my limiter. So glad to be on. Um, and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Awesome. So what is, you know, you said you've been hunting elk for 30 years and there's been a lot of changes. Um, what is your hunting background? How did, I mean, being a Midwest guy, did you start hunting whitetail and then you got so good at that? You said, I need to go hunt bigger game or how, how did the progression work for you?
1: Well, I don't know about getting, how being all that great at whitetail hunting. Now I was a pretty serious whitetail hunter and I love whitetail hunting. And I, I started hunting when I was about nine. I killed my first whitetail with a bow when I was 10 and, uh, i had to put like four or five arrows in but, um, but I did get it done with a 35 pound recurve and, um, and I was climbed up in a tree stand made out of two the typical Missouri tree stand. And, um, so yeah, I chased whitetails all those years. And then I graduated college and I moved, went to work for a transplant company, like a human tissue transplant company. And my boss was a huge whitetail hunter, a little older than me. And we hunted together, whitetails a lot. And one day we were in the boardroom, we were sitting in there and he just says, I'm about 24-ish at the time, 23. I don't remember exactly when I started, somewhere 30 some years ago, 34 years ago. He says hey we should go elk hunting and i said dang yeah we should and uh let's get let's do it so we bought our tag colorado we drove out there and went to a um city market bought our tag at the convenience store and went out by crested butte somewhere somewhere out there and we went in a minivan <laughs> <laughs> we went in a two-wheel drive front-wheel drive minivan and we get out there and we're, we we pack in this place and we're on this trail. I almost hate saying this. I've never told this story on a podcast. I've never. <laughs> I've been on almost 50 podcasts and I've never told this story because it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> so you just got me in the right mood tonight, I guess. So we get to the trail I me and my buddy, we've never seen an elk in the wild and never what only elk we've ever seen. I remember there's no internet hardly then. I mean, we had internet, of course, but it wasn't like massive YouTube. All the, You had to go buy the DVDs. You got some, you know, some Primo's elk hunting DVDs or something. You know, we read all those and watched those. We've never actually seen an elk. And so, or an elk track. <laughs> and uh, so we get to the trail and we're hiking in. And there's just all these tracks. And we're like, holy cow. These freaking elk are just running up and down the freaking trails. Like, we're just going to kill one on the trail. They're just I mean the tracks go in every direction. We're hiking hiking and we come finally we're three or four miles or whatever we are and we're carrying our gear in those days I mean I don't even know what our packs weigh I mean you know we're struck we're barely getting back there and this, <laughs> we get up over this hill and it's it's kind of foggy and it's kind of a nasty day and it's the bot the basin's kind of clouded in. And we can see this herd down there, and we're like, "Look at that!" I mean, we're already, we ain't even been here ten minutes. And we're glassing, and we—and then finally, we hear them, We hear a noise, and we're like, "What was that?" And we're like, "Is that a bugle?" We're like, "We could hear it barely from down there." Finally, I'm like, "That sounds like a cow, like cattle." <laughs> and we have freaking been stalking a herd of cows, <laughs> cattle and we glassed them all up down in there and and we could barely see them and uh so that's how our elk hunting started so all those tracks obviously were not elk (laughs) (laughs) and you know i mean it makes sense but i think we we probably common sense wise we should have figured it out but we are so excited that we're in colorado and that we just probably overlooked the obvious and um It was fine, so we never saw an elk the the whole time, and then I got super sick. The story's a little long, but it's it's interesting. So we pulled the minivan over. (laughs) We saw some elk cross the road, finally, seeing elk cross the road, but we didn't get a good look at it. We just, boom, we ran across the road. So the next day, we went back to the spot where they crossed the road, (laughs) you know, like good hunters would do, and I just marched up in the timber. I could see the minivan from where I was at. And I was up on the hill and I was just sitting on the stump. It, was, it wasn't the middle of the day, but it was late, late morning. And I see something coming through the timber. I thought it was a horse. I mean, it looked like a horse to me. I'm like, it must have got loose. I'm kind of looking at him, looking, and it's coming right to me. And it's just in the brush and pops out more open. And I'm like, that's a freaking elk. And it walks right up to me. I shot that cow. shot her at six yards. <laughs> and, uh... She runs down and run. The blood trail was right behind the back lift gate of the minivan. She crossed the road and went. Goes down in the ditch and so ended up, you know, ended up getting there. But that was my first uh, first elk, <laughs> my first elk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did that uh, spike the passion there? Um, oh, now I'm you sure. had to get a bill, uh, a bull rather, or you know, no, how, how did that not go?
1: Really, not really. I mean. I, um, oh, I mean, everybody wants to kill a bull, obviously. And, right. uh, the only reason I even killed that cow is because it has been a few, well, we had all kinds of things like, I don't think I'm going to shoot a small one at first. You know, I mean, who, everybody says that, but in reality, <laughs> you <laughs> well, better shoot the first bull. When you first start hunting, you better shoot the first bull comes by. Right. And, uh, but we, you know, we had big dreams, obviously, um. And then, so I killed a cow that year, killed a little bull the next year, and maybe. And then I don't think I didn't get one my third year. Um, But anyway, so I had some, you know, good success in the beginning. But it really didn't matter, guys. I was addicted to the adrenaline. I was addicted to the fatigue. I was addicted to the toughness. Um, At the time, I was in in really good shape. I was really working out. I was doing triathlons most of that time. I was doing Ironmans on a pretty pretty serious level at that point in my life and even not really in the beginning but kind of middle of the time so i just love the pursuit and i love the challenge of the hunting you know whitetail hunting is is great but it's tree stand i mean you know i I don't want to diss whitetail guys but a lot of whitetail hunting is who you have property to hunt on you're as good a whitetail hunter as the property you're hunting and so if you've got a good place to hunt then you're good Public land, whitetail hunters, dude, those guys are serious. I mean, you, guys that are getting it done on decent bucks on public land in, in Missouri and other states like that are really, really, in my, in my opinion, next level whitetail guys. And a private land, you know, I mostly hunted private land, and it was all who I could get permission. And So, but going out west and having access to all these places and all this public land and just being able to explore, I was addicted. I was just addicted and I didn't miss an elk season for 19 years. And then I finally had missed one because of work. I just, I I started my own business. I got too busy and I missed two years in a row and I was almost suicidal. And my wife's like, dude, you got to go. I'm like, I can't. I said, we got too much going on. I just can't Dude, She goes, I can't live with you if you don't. I mean, (laughs) you're going to have to do something. I mean, this ain't going to work. So I started piecing together a few little hunts, went on a couple guided, went on drop camp, went on some of these, you know, easier to deal with hunts and just didn't like it. And then eventually I got back into it hardcore again, harder core again. And then eventually I moved to Montana, you know, six, six years ago, we packed up and moved to Montana. And uh, it's been a dream ever since, as far as elk hunting goes. (laughs)
0: So from that perspective, it's something I was going to ask you a little bit when we were kind of getting into your course, but I I guess it's as good a time as any. Um, How do you go from the guy that shoots one out of the back of the minivan, of sorts, um, (laughs) to an expert? And and so to... And it's not like a, a... you know, backhanded question or anything like that. Well,
2: for one 30 years of experience, <laughs>
0: well, there's lots of guys that have hunted whitetails for 30 years and haven't killed shit or like, aren't yeah. good at it. So, yeah. um, I, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, um, the level of like, uh, preparation, I think is what, um, you've kind of made a name for yourself with in the, in the way that you go about your, your planning. Um, right. So, uh, I mean just kind of from well, that perspective. I, let's just let's
1: just back that question up just a little bit. I am still the guy shooting out with mini-man. <laughs> um, let's just be honest. The, okay. I killed a lot of bucks in my in my I mean a lot. I, I was trying to figure out I don't know what my percentage is. I'm not bright. I don't even want to try to. But I'm in the I'm close to 60-70% as far as success on all the years. But I still have not killed a bull over 320 still to this day um i've killed some right around that range and um but i'm looking for a big bull my problem is guys until i moved to montana okay remember what i said about i couldn't drive through a state that had elk to get right. another state that had elk. Right. i also had the other problem of i couldn't let a bull walk by me right so the first raghorn that would break off the herd just got shot And then I can't tell you how many times I had killed an elk and then calling for somebody. And then as of the caller had a chance to kill a giant (laughs) and it just, you know, the way it worked out, but I love elk meat. My family loves elk meat and I'm a Missouri whitetail meat hunter guy. I'm a, I mean, I, I, I love the passion of the elk hunting. I'm not a trophy guy. I'm maybe I'm a little more of a trophy guy in the whitetail world because I just really worked hard to kill some really big whitetails. But in the elk world, I'm just now, now that I live in Montana and I'm getting, last year I had five elk tags. So now that I'm getting three to five elk tags every year, I'm dedicating 65, 70 days into elk season every year. I'm starting to get a little less trigger happy. (laughs) Uh, and I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for some bigger bulls and I'm passing some bulls up, calling in different bulls. And so I'm really enjoying that part of it, but I still haven't got a really big bull. So, guys, you know, I, it's really difficult to, you don't want to define yourself by kind of how big a bull you've killed, in my opinion. Now, I know Instagram, I know how that works. Right. But for me, in my course, and everything i you'll never all the pocket everything that you never hear me talking about how many big bulls and this and i wait for this and oh, man i passed 100 bulls to get this bull and, and that's not my thing okay if that's what you're looking for no that's not what the course is that's not what i'm about that's not and there's nothing wrong with that i got a dude that i know lives in bozeman i can't say his name but the dude has never killed a bull under 360 i mean and kills every year the wow. dude's just a giant killer i mean absolute giant killer but he'll go to the ends of the earth physical mental spot and stock forget the calling i mean just looking for that next level bull and um that's what he does it and that's great i love calling i love alpine mountains i love chasing them in their i like chasing the herds um i'm addicted to that whole calling part of it and um so sometimes you know you cross paths with a giant and sometimes you don't and um but i'm about killing elk okay i'm about filling freezer and i'm about having a good time doing it i'm about not being stressed out not wondering what to do next being frazzled because you can't find any elk having no plan b having no plan c That's the stuff I'm about. And, and, you know, we talked a little earlier about stringing together the odds. What can I do as an elk hunter to increase my odds exponentially? Because the average elk hunter is 10% archery, straight up. And it's actually less than 10%. Because the average is 10% public land, do-it-yourself, you know, non-premium tag draw is about 10%. Well, you start throwing in guys that are 60% chance successful. Well, that drops the average guy down way below 10%. You got guys that go out there every year and kill out almost. And that hurts the average tremendously. So, you're, I mean, if you're driving from the Midwest on your first outgun, I'm not saying it's to discourage you. I'm just saying it's time to get some reality check.
2: Absolutely.
1: The, (laughs) The reality is you're 5%. If you don't plan, and the only reason I say 5% is because that's just like the lottery. I mean, like you said, your buddy, the cow runs up, and commits suicide at the car. <laughs> and um, that happens. But that's the 5%. <laughs> and um, But if you want to be 20% or 30% or 50 even, that's when I, I feel you got to start stringing together scenarios and odds. And I call them odds multipliers. You got to start stringing those together to increase your odds. And um, and not the odds of killing a 380 bull. You know, my buddy this year, I'm looking at it right now. It's sitting here in front of me. It's 390. And uh, killed it with a bow. Absolute incredible shot. 390. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. It's sitting next to the three elk I killed last year. And uh, they look pitiful (laughs) next to this thing. (laughs) And this dude's been hunting almost as long as I've been hunting. And he's killed some bigger elk than me, but he's never killed anything like this. And uh, just the opportunity came, and he made the most of it. And there was no mistakes made. And the wind, everything, he, he had all those multipliers in his favor. And it worked out on our next level, whole next level elk. And um, it's great. It's a great story. And um, in an area that we e-scouted the crap out of, we started really difficult road access area, lots of roads, lots of access, hard to get away from people, lots of private land issues, lots of private land, people coming through the private to hunt the public, all all these scenarios. And so it, it took a lot of work to really strategize on what the approach would be. And, um, you know, every area is different, but in this area, it was um, it was more challenging because of all those factors. And um, if you just roll out there and you just say, I'm going to park the car here, I'm just going to hunt. With no strategy, no method, no thinking about the thermals, no thinking about where the pressure is coming from, no thinking about what the slopes you're on, no thinking about where the benches are, where the water, where are they watering if it's a low water area, without a lot of thought on those things, your odds are just you're not multiplying anything. Does
2: that make sense? Yeah, you're like you might as well be consider yourself zero percent at that point. Yeah, you're not, I mean, I mean well, you're not zero
1: because you like your buddy. You got your got those you got those suicidal elk. right? And um, there's a few of them out there.
0: <laughs> so it's really easy um, for for us to to listen to this, and I mean, John and I are just glancing over at each other, just kind of like half chuckling because you know this is kind of like the way that we went into it a bit. And then for you talk about the whitetail public land guys that get it done. I mean, that's kind of like who we talk to and and what we do here on this this podcast. So, um, but it's really awesome to talk to you from the perspective of, you know, not letting a bull walk by because that for the average guy or for the, the first timer is a lot easier to relate to, then the guy says, well, oh, you know, you got to let these ones go by and, and whatever. And, you know, John's, you know, taking some shot at an elk. And, you know, I was in a position where the, I I don't know how to score elk, but a, a gi- absolute giant from a Midwestern guy perspective, having seen elk that my dad has killed and, you know, other things. I mean, and just being able to just the, all of the emotions that come together all at one time. And then you're going to say, well, you know, I probably wouldn't shot that one out and <laughs> let him go, you know, for, for, for guys on their first time going out there or guys that haven't been successful, haven't seen elk, you know, it, it's really nice to hear, you know, from someone like yourself that, you know, it's just go out there and walk. <laughs> yep. Yeah, put, put something on the ground. So common misconceptions for guys going out there their first time you know for us on our first trip out there, the one that John and I went on together it is a thirty hour drive out to Idaho, and so our expectations yeah. out there you know we're all super excited on our way out there, you know, and then we get get there after driving for you know we're we're zombies, we sleep for six hours and then head out and then exactly what you said we didn't run into cattle but we started walking up the path and there's elk tracks everywhere and we're just like oh my gosh yeah we're gonna kill one right here and then we realized our packs were too heavy and just everything you know it, it, the 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 reality set in that a we don't know what we're doing and b this is like huge country and it's just kind of we're looking at each other going well, what do we do next well what do you think we should do what do you th-? we neither one of us have ever done this, so we have no idea
1: you know, and you, man, you're, that's a perfect lead in, <laughs> for what I was getting ready to say. So in my course, and, and I, I was worried about this because I know how guys operate. I'm, I'm one of them. And I'm just going to say guys, women. I mean, it, just, I know how elk hunters operate. They want to know, everybody wants to ask me a couple of different questions. There's really two major questions I get. Well, number one. What's the best time to go? What's my best week? When should I go? I got seven days. What's the best seven days to kill an elk? Okay, that's the question number one. I get a lot. Second question I get: What? Do, what's your key? What do you look for? What's the key things you look for? Like what's benches, nor slope? What? Give me the just give me the list. And I'm like, okay. Those two things um, are not going to kill you an no. elk. They're absolutely not going to kill you No, Actually, those two things by themselves will be odds decreasers because of, of just what you guys just said. The number one problem that I find, with, especially with new elk hunters, is they do not, they absolutely do not understand the realities, and they do not understand, fully understand their limitations, and they do not work around that. They do not have a plan for that reality or that limitation or the, I, I don't say one, the list of them. And when they get out there, like you, just like you guys did, I mean, it's the same thing guys. It's identical. They're like, Whoa, this is harder further or carrying more weight. These elk are living in, I mean, how can they even be on that slope? And you're like, it's overwhelming. It overwhelms people. It discourages guys, it causes regret, it causes indecision, and then guys start just making, I call it the wing it factor. They're just starting to come up with crazy ideas that they should do. Like, we should go halfway back to camp and hunt elk there, because it's halfway. (laughs) Well, there's no elk there. The elk are where you're at. They're not halfway to camp. They're not halfway back to the truck. But in their mind, they're like, oh, we could probably turn one up. We can. But they're looking at elk, but they can't hunt those elk because they're too steep. They're too far. They're too whatever they are. And they're just not. It becomes. I don't know if I'm saying this or if this is making sense, but it becomes overwhelming for guys. And so that's why the first five or six modules in my course. And I've I've watched. I can see the progress (laughs) on every on every student. And I can see guys just totally skipping these. <laughs> they're like, all of a sudden, they're in module six, and they looked at nothing in the first four because they looked at the topics. One of them was real realities. One of them is limitations. One of them is hunt planning. One of them is core, establishing core hunt areas. Another one is zones of pressure, and you know some different things. And they just screw that. I want to go right to the elk finding features. And uh, they go right. I've got ten modules that are dedicated to elk finding features, what I call them. And they go right to it. And um, I just smile when I see it. I mean, they're probably getting some good information, and maybe they understand all the other stuff. I'm not – I don't know. But, guys, it is – if you're listening to this podcast and you're a newer elk hunter, you're already ahead of the game because you're listening to this great podcast that's giving you some things, that's getting ready to give you a few things – that I have absolutely failed at multiple, multiple times before I figured it it out. And the number one failure is in the course, I call it the hunt parameter. They get outside of the parameter that they're comfortable operating in. They can't, they either e-scout or they look for areas that are unreachable they're out of the realm of possibilities, their packs, their gear, their fitness, their time, their vacation time, how much time they've got. All these things are deciding factors on your limitations. So it's not just physical. Everybody thinks physical, physical, phys- dude, it's not. Now physical is important in elk. Let's just be honest. It, it's at the top of the list, but your mental attitude, you got to be in the game. I know a guy I got a Ryan Lampers, I'll just say, Ryan Lampers, you guys, I don't know if you guys follow him. But the dude's, I mean, he's a killer, natural-born killer. He will hunt an elk for 30 days. He will not see that elk for 30 days. We bear hunted this year. We packed in damn near 20 miles to bear hunt. Who does that? Nobody. We packed in 20 miles to hunt a bear that he's seen the year before that he called red lightning, okay? And he nicknamed it. He didn't get it. it. It ditched him. He missed it. One of the biggest bears he's ever seen. And this dude kills bears. So he says, we're going back. I'm like, well, what makes you think the bear's going to be there? He's going to be there. I'm like, dude, in the same drainage, one year later, and two weeks different time frame. Oh, he's there. I'm just going to find him. I'm like, okay. So we load the longs up. We pack in. Took his couple days to get in so we're you know on a 12-day hunt we're spending four of the days just getting in and out <laughs> and we get there they glass glass seeing a lot of bears no red lightning he said he's there i'm going to pack up to this ridge i'm going to spike camp so we had our base camp logs. it's a two and a half three mile pack straight up straight up to this knife ridge where you can get a better view of the basin. so they pack him and Brian call pack up, and they're gonna spend the night on the night. I stay down to freaking fight the grizzlies off with the with the llamas. <laughs> and uh, packed up there, I get a text on my Delorme. Red Lightning is down. <laughs> I'm like, what the freak? <laughs> they go up there and kill that freaking bear. Same bear. No shit. He's he's done it with elk. He and the only reason I'm telling you that story for you guys and the guys listening is guys. This is a guy that knows how to get it done. There's no doubt about it, but he didn't, we had no idea how many days it was going to take us to turn this freaking bear up. But he said, if it takes him 12 days to turn him up, it's just going to take 12 days. And he also said, if I come out without him, I just come out without him. And there's not many guys that I've ever met that are wired at that level And I'm not talking about just killing a giant animal. I'm talking about the mindset of saying, I'm going in there to kill an elk. I don't care what elk. I'm just, I'm going in to do it. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to get the plan together. I'm going to work the plan and I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to falter when I don't see anything. When I get hot, when I get cold, when I I get blisters, I get, I'm just not going to worry about that stuff. So I'm going to overcome the physical. I'm going to overcome the mental and the fatigue. And the missing your wives and your kids and all the things that go without kind of guys, those are real things. If you're solo hunting, the fear factor, the grizzlies, I do a lot of solo hunting and everybody thinks I'm not afraid of grizzlies. Dude, if you're a grown man and you're not afraid of grizzlies, you're an idiot. (laughs) I mean, you're an idiot. We saw five grizzlies on that hunt. And we had two in camp close encounters, like really close. And you just, all these factors are always in play. And it's not about the best bench all the time. It's not about the best meadow. It's about understanding the realities and limitations. And there are several, and we could talk about a few. So guys can kind of, when they hear them, you don't have to really explain them that much sometimes. It's just like, sometimes it's just like you need to hear them and you need to understand like, I mentioned parameters. Let's just talk about that one first. One of the first things I teach in the course is you got to set a hunt parameter. What does that mean? Well, that's a radius, basically. So let's say you got trailhead A, and the terrain is of X difficulty. You know, let's say it's moderately difficult. Now, when I say difficult, that, depends, that varies amongst guys depending on their fitness levels, how off-trail it is, how on-trail it is, different things like that. So let's just say it's moderately difficult, and you got trailhead A, and you guys are coming from what states you guys live in? Michigan. Michigan. You're coming from Michigan, Flatlanders, um, and you're like, okay, we've been working out. We got our packs dialed. We know we, we we know five miles is is pretty good. We can do five miles multiple times because if you kill an elk and you're by yourself, it's about a four trip operation. So five miles becomes Forty miles. I hope everybody understands. You're in and out. I hope everybody can do the math on that.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, I killed an elk in Wyoming, and I had a thirty-five mile pack out, but it wasn't a thirty-five mile pack out. It was a six mile pack out, but I had it with my camp, and I mean, it took me two days and thirty-five plus miles, and it was killed me. It was brutal. That was the year I bought llamas <laughs> and uh, but it was I was at the limit. My point was I was really at the limit of my hunt parameter so i like to draw a radius a circle a physical circle guys i mean is that elementary a five mile radius around the trailhead okay that's my operating zone i gotta i gotta work my hunt plan into that zone now if i see something just past it maybe i can flex a little but i have to understand what i'm dealing with here and a lot of guys just sit on their computer, start dropping pins, start looking at ridges. They don't, and then I've done it. You start—I call it distance creep—and you start looking at things. And all of a sudden, you're ten miles from the freaking trailhead. <laughs> you're like, "Okay, it's <laughs> probably not going to work." But man, that's a really good-looking spot. I'd really like to go. That I'm gonna—we're gonna—we can make it there, guys. It's not reality. That's not facing reality. And um, so, how many guys are going? you know, getting an elk in and out, what the temperature, what the heat situation is and how long the meat's going to be okay. And also you have to work. I don't know which one of you two is the fittest, but you can't worry about who's the fittest. You got to worry about who is not the fittest. Right. (laughs) So you have to work on your weakest link and that's not a problem guys. It's just a reality that you need to face. And if you plan your hunt around it, you're going to be successful. I'm telling you guys, there's elk a mile from the road. You just got to look at for them a little differently and you got to look at the zones of pressure really carefully. You got to really analyze the roads. Maybe there's a creek, you can a river you, you can wade across. The guys won't crawl. I mean, there's just things you can do. If you're more limited by distance, there's a lot of things you can do. Okay. And it's not always about going the furthest. It's about, you know, like we said, odds, where the most odds multipliers are, are not always the furthest from the road. Now I like to hunt further away. I like to get away from people a little bit more. But it certainly is not a requirement. But when you set up your hunt plans, you start planning these things out. You start doing all these things that are required to elk hunt. Having that hunt parameter is probably one of the most grounding functions, and it's so dang simple to do. Um, and actually, on X, I'll just give on X a plug. I I don't I do not endorse any platforms. Guys, I'm, I'm, I use the right tool for the right job. I say this in the course all the time. I use Gaia. I use GoHunt. I use Basemap. I use Onyx. But I use Google Earth the most. For e-scouting, there's nothing better than Google Earth. Simply fact. Fact. Onyx ain't there. Gaia, nobody's there. But there are times I use all of them for different things. But my, So with that said, Onyx has a new function that most people don't even know about yet. It's called a radius tool. You create a waypoint and then you edit that waypoint and you say, put a radius around it. So you put a five mile radius around that waypoint. So you draw your access point, you put a vehicle, your car icon, whatever your icon set, whatever you're using. You say, drop a five mile radius. Boom. And now you're working with your hunt parameter. You drop a 10 mile radius, whatever your radius is, you drop it. And then you start looking in that zone 360. What's available to me? What's Where's the pressure gonna come from? What's the features here? What kind of slopes do we got here? What kind of drainages? What kind of saddles, benches? That's when you can start breaking that core area down. But if you start just randomly looking at a, at a map or you've got Google Earth up and you've got no parameters, you're wasting a lot of time, most of the time, you're wasting a lot of time looking at areas that are outside of your reality. That makes, I know that was super long-winded to answer your question. but No, it makes um, a lot of sense. Guys, it can ch- it's a game-changer.
0: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. My, the, the follow-up question and the question that guys are going to be sitting in their car or on their treadmill saying, what happens when we set that parameter just like everybody else did, and now we run into pressure? How do we deal with other hunters and pressure? Because we're we're first timers, we don't necessarily know what we're doing, and everybody's looking at the same, uh, you know, go hunt statistics or whatever, right. and then they're looking at the exactly. same trailheads and the same stuff. So w- what do they do then?
1: Well, that's where the zones of pressure come in, guys. Okay, that's a whole. It, it's an hour and a half module in my course, a freaking hour and a half. You guys alluded to it already. <laughs> I like to do it old school, guys. I'm a I'm a pretty I'm a pretty much a computer geek. In my business prior to this, um, I build my own websites. I do my all my own graphic design. I'm, I'm pretty solid. I still do this. I pull my National Force maps out, my printed National Force maps. I cut my two-mile radius out of cardboard. I cut my two one-mile radius out of cardboard. I cut my three-mile radius out of cardboard. And I start doing my concentric circles from all trailheads, all dead ends, all campgrounds, all takeoff points. And I start looking at where these people are going to come from. And and I put a two-mile circle. for Now, this is for me. It can be whatever your reality is. It can be a one-mile. It can be a half-mile. There's no magic to the number. It's just you have to look at what your capabilities are and what kind of your reality is and what you think you can do. I know with my llamas that 10 miles, 12 miles is I'm good with that. Okay, I'm pretty good with that. I've got enough llamas that I can make, bring an elk out one trip by myself, solo hunting in hot weather, 10 miles. Got it. So I draw a circle two miles around every trailhead, campground, dead end, access point, takeoff, anything that looks like a spot that people would park their freaking car. And then I do a one mile buffer around every road that's open physically shade with a with a with a with a highlighter a one mile buffer i've got some pictures i've been posting of guys that send me their 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 maps pictures of their maps and how they just how freaking crazy they've gone and because they've done exactly what i'm they're just highlighting everything and they're getting it all figured out if you go through this tag you'll be shocked at what jumps out even guys even in areas that are super high access, like there's roads everywhere. It seems like there's roads everywhere, there's access everywhere. There are still places, even in high, like Oregon guys are always on me. Guys are, and I always get all this question from Oregon guys, Washington guys all the time. Dude, we can't get away from people here. There's roads everywhere. I'm like, yeah, you can. You just have to work a little harder. Meaning you have to understand the pressure, like to the nth degree. And you can't understand that pressure just looking at a map. You can't. You're not. As human beings, we do not have the capability visually to look at that map and see the, the um, remote spots very easily. But when you start putting this on these circles and these buffer zones and all the things we talk about, you start laying that out on your map. There are things that are going to jump out. Now, maybe in some areas, not as many as in other areas, but they're still going to jump out. Then you start looking at the places where the circles are not quite reaching, or maybe there's a a physical barrier. Maybe there's a creek or a river. There's some other reason that's limiting access. You start analyzing some of that. Then you start looking at what's left. That's when you start looking for the features within some of those areas. And not only where you you also got to think about not only where there's gaps in the pressure, but what, you know, it, you know, after you go through and you think through things a lot and you're really taking this, going through this process, what's also going to jump out at you is how the elk are going to behave. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to just move out of the country? No. Are they going to get into more rugged, isolated country if it's a high-pressure area? Yes. What does that look like? What slope degree is that? Is that should I be looking at 25-degree slopes? In a tight pressure area, absolutely you should. And normally I like 15 to 20, but if I'm freaking getting that pressure, I get in the 20 to 30 degree. I'm looking for those slope degrees. I have a layer, I turn on, I want to see the degree shaded. I want to see where that 30-degree slope is at. Because those elk know that 99% of the hunters are not doing that 30 degrees. They're just not. The other thing, like you mentioned, is guys, get off the trail. Get off the trail. There's elk within a quarter mile of those established trails. The guys just will not get off those freaky trails. It's like they're, I I don't know. It's like a pacifier. (laughs) They feel like they can get out. They feel like they're not going to get lost. They feel like they're safer. They feel like um, when it gets dark, how many times has it been dark in your elk hunting career? You've been two miles from a trail. Not many, because not many guys are that comfortable with that. But I love that territory. That's the killing territory. Two miles from a trail, a mile and a half from a trail. Nobody is in those spots. I'm telling you right now, very few. should say nobody because that's not true. Within a mile and a half of an established trail, meaning it's showing up on the topo map, nobody is there at crack of dawn, and nobody's there till dark. They're always in those places at noon. <laughs> nobody has a problem being a mile and a half from the trail at noon. Um, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of guys they'll be in those prime elk holding spots, what I call elk holding spots, at noon. But you need to be there when they're coming from their feeding to their bedding at crack of dawn, and you need to be there at last night. And that requires really learning and really coming to grips with overland. Overland navigation at dark, our pre-hunt plan, pre-route planning, I talk about a lot in my course, planning your routes out off trail ahead of time before you ever go to the mountains. you got your whole day planned. Your whole route is planned out. All the features you want to hit, what time you want to be there, how much time you've got to get back to the trail, estimating two miles an hour, mile and a half an hour, whatever your pace is. There's a lot of planning that goes into it that guys just don't want to do, and I get it. You don't have to do it. But if you want to change the 10 percent success rate, that's is what it requires. And in high pressure areas, one of the best advice I'll give you is get off the trail. Just get away from it. Don't go to a trailhead, for God's sakes. Jump off the road somewhere between the highway and the trailhead, like a midway point or someplace that like just pull off the road. No parking spot, no dead end, no logging road, no nothing and just hike up the freaking ridge, get on a ridge line, and bust over to a a basin that has no trail in it. And, uh, I mean, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. But guys got to, it's like, like I said, it's a pacifier. Guys are so comfortable hiking. They think they have to hike in on a trail. I don't know what it is. It's like a mental block. It's like, I got to go to the trailhead, and I got to take this trail in, and I'm going to camp on the trail right here. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. And then they wonder why they run into dudes every five minutes. <laughs> because those dudes, guys are like train tracks. Those hunters are in and out on that same track. And literally just out of hearing distance, just about a half a mile, there's bulls bugling all over the place. If you don't think those bulls know where those trails are, I don't know what to tell you. How many times have you seen a giant bull track walking up and down a freaking established trail? Not very often. I mean, in 30 years of hunting elk, I just have not seen it that often. You don't, you're you not walking down the trail like I mentioned with the cow tracks. Like, oh, my gosh, there's freaking giant bull tracks all up and down this person trail. <laughs> no. Now, do they cross the trail? Yes. And I always am watching the steep slides where they're coming down a steep bank and crossing. I've always got my I got my eyes when I'm packing on a trail. I'm more glued to the side you know, whatever you want to call it, that freaking uh, pull-off lane on the highway. I'm looking at the side road more than I'm looking at the trail. Even when I'm driving in the car, I'm looking for those slides where they're coming and crossing the road. And, you know, you can pick those things up. Do Do they get on the road and walk down the road? Sure, they do sometimes, but not that often. They're getting away. They're crossing the road when they have to, and that's it. Same with the trail, especially a real highly used recreational trail. Um, And so studying the trail systems, getting off the trail, analyzing the pressure on those trails, which can be done. I teach how to do it, how to analyze. How do you know how much pressure is on those trails? It's not that complicated. It's actually pretty easy. And uh, it's it's a process you just work through and using Google Earth. You can't use any other tool. And you can't do it in the field. You have to do this work before you go. So that's, I mean, I know that's a long winded, but that's a great tip for guys. If you're coming out and you feel like you're in a pressure zone, there's a lot of people. If you're hunting Colorado, dude, if you're hunting Colorado, period, get off the trail. Colorado's got too many freaking hunters. Okay, it's ridiculous. But it's also got a ridiculous amount of elk. They got three times more elk than most states. And you're like, how can they have three times more elk and five times more hunters? It's because the dudes do the same thing, and those elk know those elk know what those dudes do. <laughs> and uh, I know it's funny, right? It's funny, but um, the off trail is a really, really, really key. T- and but it's hard. It's hard mentally. It's hard to kind of make yourself do it, and you feel uncomfortable because you like you're a little nervous about it. Because that's how you, know, you can get lost. You, all the things can happen. And so people, they're just not comfortable with that navigation. So you have to learn that. You have to learn to live with it and learn to kind of work with it. So, you know, maybe you don't want to do your whole hunt off trail <laughs> <laughs> um, at your first hunt, but you want to make sure you're factoring that that kind of stuff in. I hope that makes sense.
0: Sure. And and for guys that aren't uh, familiar with you and your your style and everything, like when he's talking about, a paper map and using a compass, like it's like a giant Venn diagram of intersecting circles and then where, (laughs) where where it doesn't uh, intersect is kind of those areas that you're kind of keying in on. Now, when you talk about doing the mile from, from every road and you had talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, being able to find elk, you know, within the road, are you using that one mile is guys will road hunt that to avoid? Are you saying that that might be guys are going past that and you can look there for elk?
1: Well, like for example, one of the most popular things that people do nowadays because they're lazy and I don't mean, I'm not being negative. I mean, it's just, I'm speaking the truth. They're base camping. Okay. They're hunting out of a vehicle camp with nothing wrong with that. I did it for years. My brother used to bring, my brother's, my brother's OCD is so bad. He he can't he can't function without a giant base camp with cook tents. And I mean the dude, I mean it's like a small city. So for years we hunted base camp. You kill a lot of elk like that, but it's not as lucrative. It's not as lucrative as not base camping. But I don't want to diss that because one, it's fun to hunt base camp. You got your beer, you got all your stuff. It's fun. You're cooking meals, it's it's fun. But it's hard work. So you're hiking in every freaking day. Um. What I'm talking about is guys will drive the roads and those roads get traffic up and down those roads. Guys will drive and bugle and listen and bugle and they'll park their cars and they'll go off trail. A lot of guys will park their car on the side of the road, like I just mentioned, and hike in to hunt. Okay. But almost none of them, when I say none, I'm probably talking 95%, I'd be willing to bet it, are going more than a mile from the road off trail rarely rarely it's just too it's just not in the comfort zone of most hunters so that's why i've kind of picked the mile one you can't hear an elk from the road that's about a mile away it's a, almost outside of that hearing range does that make sense mm-hmm. so they're not drawing attention and those elk have gotten used to hunting see they know freaking people are there They know people are buzzing those roads at four wheelers and Raptors and who knows what yelling and screaming and campfires and who knows what's going on out there. They just avoid them. And so they just kind of have this buffer zone, which I think is roughly about that mile. It's kind of the golden zone for me and a mile to most guys said, well, that's nothing, which is really not, but guys, it's, it's a tough haul from the road cross country. In most cases, it's not an easy deal to get a mile from the road. With no trail and uh nothing to follow and guide you and whatever and so that's kind of my why i do it there's no real you could do a half mile You, you you could do whatever you want you just want to set it up what you're looking for are pressure you're looking for places with the with less pressure okay the bigger the buffer the less pressure but that doesn't mean that elk will not tolerate some pressure. So in the course, I reference a study. There was a big, big study that was done several years ago between mule deer and elk. What do they do with pressure? So they did it in this Colorado area with a high recreation, you know, like people hiking up to the lake in the summer, just hunters, but also just recreational traffic, mountain bikers, the whole bit. It was crazy. They found out that mule deer, believe it or not, mule deer did not leave. They adjusted their patterns, they became more nocturnal, they just got into tighter quarters. they just avoided, you know, avoided the contact, but they didn't leave, but elk did. Elk packed up and moved to a, not far, but just more remote. So what this article says to me is that elk respond to pressure by relocating. Now, when I say relocate, I don't mean mountain ranges away necessarily. They're just going to adjust, and they're going to work around that pressure. They're the masters of it. They, they, they're they incredibly talented at that, and they don't tolerate the pressure. So like I said, the deer will tolerate a certain amount of pressure. Elk will not. If they get pressure, they, they make an adjustment. Sometimes it's freaking next county, <laughs> but sometimes it's not, you know? rifle season when the bullets start flying stuff sometimes they relocate pretty far but archery just because a few dudes bumped them uh maybe not you know maybe not always but so using those buffer zones and defining them what you and 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 i hate saying like a defined distance guys sometimes because in some areas like in oregon and washington where there's lots of roads you might not be able to get away with the Two mile, one mile, you might not have anything that's not inside a circle. (laughs) And uh, so you have to, your, your, your end goal, I guess I'll say it this way, is you're looking for the areas with the least pressure. And that is the same, whether it's really far from the trailhead or not that far from the trailhead. It's just the least pressure. And for elk, now deer, I don't know that I I recommend the same thing, but for elk, they, like I told you the study, and that goes along with my 30 years, I have found elk is like the people find elk and freaking, they got their trail, that's why I'm not a big trail cam guy. I mean, I know guys, usually have a lot of success with them, but where those elk are at in August, July and August is not where they're going to be necessarily in September. And not only because that they're moving because of the rut. It's because maybe food source changes, but also the pressure. And uh, so, you know, just stuff to keep in mind. But, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. So when you talk about making the circles, like you said, I do it two different ways in the course. I do a cardboard circle that I cut out. I like doing that and the best because it's the quickest. It's got a center. It's got a hole cut in the middle so you can see the, where you're putting it, like on the trailhead or whatever. You just drop it on the trailhead. Boom. You take the permanent marker. Boom, zip a 360-degree. Zip a around the uh, two mile diameter piece of cardboard but i also will use a compass too like you mentioned, i think you mentioned the compass mm-hmm. and uh you can use it both ways whatever you like but i not many people do it and uh but more people are doing it i'm getting videos i'm getting emails i'm getting pictures constantly now dudes that are doing it it's eye-opening it, it, when i started doing it it just It just started really blowing my mind. I'm like, I just didn't see that little spot. I didn't see that. I didn't put that together. And uh, it's not the end all. It's just one tool. It's one. But it's a good one.
0: Sure. And with the talking about pressure, um, you know, this year seemed to be like a a boom for, for pressure with, you know, more people having more time off and things like that. And then we saw, you know, the changes for the upcoming year for Idaho and, um, some changes for, uh, Colorado a little bit and the amount of hunters, everything. So for guys that are planning their first hunter that are, are thinking about it for that new hunter, uh, you know, over 30 years and multiple states hunted, uh, what recommendations would you have for guys on choosing where to go or go to uh, Colorado? <laughs> John's going <laughs> yeah, to Montana. Well, here's, <laughs> the,
1: here, here's the thing, you know, like you just said, you're right. But there is some good news. Okay. So Colorado, I'm sorry, Idaho, let's use Idaho. Cause you mentioned it. you guys have hunted it. Hmm. It's a great example. I never hunted Idaho until I moved here. It's, it's, I'm, I love it. It's one of my favorite states now for elk. And I hate almost saying that out loud. Uh, <laughs> but it's a really, really great opportunity state. There's not a lot of giants in, in some of the more, I don't want to say general, but let's say the easier. I shouldn't even say easier because none of the tags are easy now in Idaho to get. But so the way it works there is they give away 12,000 tags non resident. I think that's the number. And now they've decided last year, which I endorse, I'm glad, but it did create a mess. They now used to, you could just buy one of the 12,000 tags and say what region you want. Let's say you want to go to the limb high region. You just say, I want to go to the limb high. And if there was a tag available, you got it. That was great. Well, the problem was there's like three regions out of the nine that have elk in them. And um, all 12,000 dudes were going to the freaking same three regions. So what they did this year, which is good news, is they said, okay, the Beaverheads, the Liam Highs, the Island Parks, the whatever, the McCall, all of the regions in Idaho now have a defined number of tags. Not only are we limiting to 12,000, but we're also limiting how many per region. Does that make sense? Sure. And so everybody – you know, and with COVID and everything happened, it opened up December whatever, I can't remember the first, the fifteenth, I can't remember what day. It opened up and sold out in four hours. Except for a few of the crap units or regions. <laughs> I had buddies that were on online for four to six hours and didn't get a tag. Could not get in. Could not get in the queue, could not, and then when they got the, in the queue, their number, their lottery ticket was so high they didn't get a tag. I have to be honest. I had so many damn tags last year. I didn't put it right out this year. I didn't even try it. But now I'm regretting it because now I only have one tag. And I'm kind of in a state of depression right at the moment. <laughs> but um, I have one elk tag. I have Montana right now. That's it. I'm getting a little nervous. I've got a couple more draws left. And I'm going to have to go to Colorado. It's going to be Montana, Colorado this year, it looks like for me. And uh, I'm not dissing Colorado. I I cut my teeth in Colorado. And I could, I love Colorado. You just got to be ready to deal with the freaking hordes. No problem. I mean, honestly, what I just told, what we just talked about, the expectations, the off truck. you guys are way ahead of the game already. Just that, those couple little tips um, if you're going to Colorado. So I was mentioning the good news. So the good news is, guys, it's really hard to get a tag in Montana now. It used to be really, really easy. Now you got to have a point or two. Still not bad. Wyoming. I thought it was a shoe in for me in Wyoming. Okay. Three points. I had a buddy that was giving me his points, which is awesome. I I love that. I went to Wyoming last year. So I actually had a chance to go this year again, because they average points. And one of my buddies had 10 points and wanted to share them with me. I'm like, and another dude, three of us. I was like, that's so gracious. You could draw a good tag, dude. No, I want to go with you. I'm like, that's awesome. Those are real friends guys. When friends share points, you know, they're friends. That's about, you know, it's like sharing your wife almost. (laughs) That's crossing a line. When you're giving other people your points, anyway, this dude is, he's legit. So anyway, we had three points. I thought we were in for sure because last year, 2.56 drew 100% in Wyoming. So I'm like, we're in. We got three. We didn't draw with three points. And then I'm getting all these emails from other dudes, didn't draw with over three points. So obviously – buttload of people that have been setting on points put in for wyoming so we didn't draw so what i'm saying is idaho wyoming montana those are great states that you can hunt regularly okay just got to get it in your plan every three to four years you can draw a tag in all those states but they give out the same number of tags so the great part is the same number of people that hunted montana five years ago is the same number is going to hunt this year now they just sold out quicker. Idaho same thing guys same thing. actually it's better than Idaho This is going to be a fantastic year to hunt Idaho because they limited the zones so when you go into those zones there's going to be a limited number of people in there and but they still gave out 12,000 tags. last year they gave out the same number of tags, but they didn't sell out till June but they still sold out they just sold out quicker. You follow me on that? So there's no more people than normal, supposedly, unless they unless they didn't follow the rules. But there's the same number of tags. Now Colorado is a different beast. Because it's over the counter. Anybody can go. And so you gotta be, you know, I I, I suspect that those days of the over-the-counter Colorado tag are coming to an end. I would suspect that the there's just the sheer pressure and the resources and the trail. I went to a trail in Colorado. that had 100, over 100 trucks there. Holy! I'm not. I mean, I pulled up. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. i never. They were camping in the road. There was no place in the near the trailhead to camp. And i was like, we had our llamas thank God. And we're like, and we went in. Believe it or not, there's over 100 rigs at this trailhead. We packed up our llamas. I was in there for eight days. Never saw a person. Whoa. Never saw a human. How I don't know. Because we were off trail and we we're eight miles from the trailhead, and um, that was it. Nobody wanted to do that, and it was a four thousand foot climb. So, my point is, most of the states are still great because they're not letting in just mass numbers; they're just selling out quicker. Yeah. So Idaho, I, if I was telling guys, what I my strategy is, I hate to oh, I hate to say this, but my strategy is I'm always applying, always. Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, always. Every year, all the time, earning points. Obviously, you can't earn points in Idaho, but getting my points in Wyoming, Montana, no problem for me because I'm a resident. But if I wasn't, that's what I'd be doing. And then I'm also applying in New Mexico every year because it's a lottery and you can win it. Somebody's got to win it. I'm in the Arizona game, but I've got 16, whatever I got points. One of these days, I'm going to draw a tag. I've never drawn an Arizona tag ever and um so but if I was new I'm not saying I would get I, I don't think I would get in the Arizona game. It's a it's almost a waste of money. I'm sorry, but it is. Um you there's a random component but it's very little and it's just you're better off to buy the super tag. I mean your odds are almost the same <laughs> <laughs> to buy the the super tag lottery. I mean it's not exactly true but it's not far off. Idaho, I mean Nevada, elk tag? Are you kidding me? In your lifetime? I don't know. Anymore, I really don't. There's so many point holders in Utah and I in Nevada that the chances of drawing a tag in most of the really like top notch stuff. Man, it's going to be really difficult, guys. It's going to be really, really difficult for a lot of years to get a tag. And the over the counter tags in Utah, I, oh man, they're they're just not that great. I mean, you can kill elk; they're there, but I'd rather go to Colorado to be for me. Um, more elk, more opportunity um far more elk and about the same number of people (laughs) utah gets hammered too so the -the over-the-counter ones do so that was a long-winded answer but those are the states i'd focus on if i was new um don't just go to colorado because colorado is easy okay that i mean i get it it's easy you can just get it and you can go put in for the and put in for the preference points in colorado guys it only takes five points to draw a really good tag in colorado I almost hate saying that, too, because I got eight points. and I'm about ready to cash in my eight. So don't start doing that till next year. Um, But, yeah, you can't in Colorado. All the best tags are like under six points. Now, except for the primo primos, there's like about 10 units that take 20 points. So there's kind of a no man's land in Colorado. So like if you have five or eight points. You might as well go because you're gonna to have to wait to 20 to get the good ones i mean the you know the, the number twos and the that i think' a 10 and 61 and those other those kind of units they take 28 27 points guys and so in your lifetime if you're starting right now you've got a zero chance do the math there's yeah. so many people that are in the in the hopper already that have between eight and 21 that you can never catch up is what I'm kinda saying. Say.
3: Right. It's
1: called point creep. And um, you know, every unit's a little different, but you really gotta study that because you can't just say, well I'm gonna start throwing in for I'm, I'm gonna draw a unit ten or something. Or I'm gonna start putting in one of these days I'll draw it. No, you won't. Not if you're 30. Unless you live to 120. <laughs> you might get it you you might get it then. And you can't hand these things down, guys. You can't put them in your will. <laughs> um but uh yeah that's my strategy on that
0: so uh, on that note for for guys that were just starting out or that are considering um even if they've got it in their mind that they want to do an elk hunt and they want to give themselves the best odds of success uh, it sounds like the best way to go about it would be to just start buying points for montana or wyoming kind of like uh, i guess what guys do for like say they want to hunt iowa you know iowa so they just kills. start buying points and in exactly. and, and, and doing the research and then maybe if they want to go go get a little bit of experience in colorado or somewhere like that and just continue to do your research and and, and figure it out almost like you're doing one of these lifetime or draw hunts where you're i mean i think of like sheep and stuff where people put in right. points forever and they do all the research so when their number gets called they've got everything planned out already
1: well, and exactly. And the thing is, guys, hunt elk. Hunt elk. You don't want to draw a 10-year tag. Some primo freak. Let's say you draw it. I would hate to think you would draw a 380, a unit 380 tag in Montana, which is the Elkhorn, hardest tag to draw in Montana. Mm-hmm. Well, well, one of the hardest. I would hate to think your first elk hunt was the freaking Elkhorns. After 10 years of waiting for it. Guys,
2: you <laughs> got to get elk. some under your belt.
1: <laughs> hunt elk. Go to Colorado. Chase elk. Chase hunters. Um, have a great time. Hone your skills. Guys, if you're killing elk in Colorado, you can kill elk anywhere. <laughs> um, that's a better way of looking at it. It's glasses half full, guys. I'd rather be elk hunting than not elk hunting. There's no way, there's no way on this earth that I'm going to wait every four years to hunt Wyoming. I'm not. I'm going to keep putting in every freaking year, and I'm never going to miss that deadline. I missed it once, and I cried. My wife, this the first time she ever saw me cry. <laughs> my wife felt so bad for me. It was the first year I moved to Wyoming, and I had enough points. I mean, first year I moved to Montana, I had enough points to draw a Wyoming tag again, and I missed the deadline. I went to bed and forgot. And I woke up, and I was, cry- I was so upset, I was crying. And my wife... <laughs> Oh, this is the first time I've ever told. Man, you guys are getting some good stories out of me. <laughs> so my wife, the next day, called Wyoming Fishing Game and asked her if there was anything she could do. <laughs> I said, honey, I really... And she said, they said no. I'm like, well... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I really appreciate that effort, baby. I said, that was, that was above and beyond. Um, but yeah, when I miss a deadline, and I've missed a couple of it, they're brutal for me. I mean, they're just, they're heartbreaking. And, uh, so put in, it's not that expensive in Wyoming. It's not bad at all. In Montana, it's not even that bad. Um, some of the other states get rough. I mean, you're buying the hunting license and you're paying fees and stuff. Like Arizona's pricey. Uh, New Mexico's not terrible, but a little price. Colorado's getting a little pricey now. They require a freaking hunting license now. They used to, but now they do. Um, but, Put in for Colorado preference points. And now most you should most guys should know this, but you know, I know we're talking to a lot of new guys. And I kind of glassed over this. Um in Colorado, the way it works is you can put in for a preference point only. Okay. It's a nine the code number is like nine 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 nine. Whatever. It's a it's preference point only. And it's April 15th or something like that's the deadline, okay? Put in for the preference. Put in for that preference point, in Colorado, or put in for a tag. It doesn't matter because you can still you can still buy the over the counter. Okay, does not affect your points. A lot of guys are like, well, I'm just going to do over the counter. I'm not going to do points. I'm like, dude, what? What do you what? <laughs> do both. And I know that. I mean, I know a lot of people. Most of your people probably know that, but I've ran into people that don't know that. So make sure that you're putting in for Colorado, absolutely, because there's some really good draw units in Colorado, really good. And especially muzzleloader tags. Really good muzzleloader tags. Um, yeah, really good. Gunnison areas. Good good units down there that, that used to be over the counter when I used to hunt them. But now they're draw. And um, they give out quite a few tags, but they're still good. Still good. And so put in there, put in Wyoming, put in Montana for sure. And then um, the great thing about Idaho, guys, it's a June deadline for the draw. So I always, you know, you always know if you got tags or not. And you can put in for the draw tags. Now the dark, the draw tags in Idaho are kind of hard to come by. There's not a whole bunch of them, but they're pretty good. But the odds are not great. But the great thing about Idaho is totally random, totally lottery, no pre everybody's on the same level. So it's June. So you know almost the results of all the draws before before idaho so don't forget that one um i think it's over now but that's one of the last draws of the year is idaho so don't forget about that one and then and if you do what i'm saying you're hunting elk every year guys every year you're hunting elk you are getting a montana tag every couple years maybe you're getting a um and then the off years you might draw a wyoming tag and then you're building your points in colorado and then whenever you don't draw any of those other states you don't you get in line idaho you don't make it you don't have a Wyoming. You don't have a Montana, and you got your preference point card. What do you do? You go to Colorado. Like what I'm doing. Last year I kind of, I kind of flew the coop with a whole. I I got lucky and drew a whole bunch of tags, and nothing super spectacular. Now my New Mexico tag was pretty spectacular, but anyway, drew all these tags, and this year I'm paying the price. And so I'm a little low on tag numbers. I can't even remember a year I didn't have three elk tags. Can't remember it. And, um, so this year I'm going to Colorado, which is great. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm going to have a strategy. I can tell you what I will be getting my national forest maps out and i be getting my cardboard circles out and I will be testing my zones of pressuring for sure. And I will know, I will know before I get there and I'll have four or five different hunt areas all worked out, all ready to go. We didn't talk about that at all, but it's, man, you can't put your eggs in one basket. There's too many things. You show up, the roads are closed, and they're not supposed to be people. Too many hundred trucks at the trail, like I said. Maybe that's too much for you. Um, fire. You got to go to plan. You fire. Yeah, exact. Colorado. Look what happened last year. They refunded people's tags last year for the draw units and um, fire. All kinds of things. I I had a road washout one time. It's gone. We couldn't even get 20 miles from where I wanted to go. And then we just moved to plan B. Already ready to go. And I wasn't upset because Plan B was almost as good, if not equal, to Plan A.
2: Yeah, that happened to me last year. Going to Montana, our Plan A was on fire, so we yeah. been, were like, "Oh." Sh-. But plan did you have
1: a Plan B ready to go?
2: Kinda. I I had, <laughs> my my buddy though lives in Bozeman, so oh, okay. He had some spots that he had hunted years ago, and so we we ended up we got into elk. It, it took us two other spots, (laughs) but it was, it definitely was eye opener, like going out and, and like having, like you said, having all of our eggs in one basket for me. And after our Idaho trip, you know, I was like, you know, we did a lot of research, but we didn't, we didn't, let's see, we didn't exercise our plan C or D or anything like that. We They were kind of in play,
0: but we got stuck on. Our- yeah, we didn't want to leave elk to find elk, but we also didn't know what we were doing. And yeah. we, we should have moved our camp is what we should have done because yeah. we, we ended up, you know, you talk about that five miles. We were doing five miles every single day back and forth yeah, to, kill you. to get to these elk. And uh, we should have just picked up our camp and moved it to this creek that we hit every day on the way back which was maybe about a mile from where we got into the elk and that would have been much better but again we were just excited that we found the elk and 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 then we were overwhelmed at kind of what to do (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. well guys it's you know and here's the other you know i love to i love when you guys say things like this because it's just like so freaking you, you know you think that you're not the exception. I mean, I'm, you just, let's just be honest here. This is the majority. Okay. So in that particular scenario, were you guys vehicle camping?
0: No. No. We were two miles were from the truck. In. Yeah. Yep.
1: So you were packed in and then walking five miles from a, from a remote camp? Yes. Oh, geez. Yeah, you guys need to have your heads examined on that one. But, <laughs> uh, but usually what happens with the base camp, okay, guys get comfortable and they kind of like it and it's too much and it's like well we only got two days left and let's just keep doing it and and it's too much trouble or you know we've already got the tents up and they're going to be wet or what what? a million reasons why they won't tear that cam down and freaking move or they've seen a couple of elk you know that's another problem guys see just enough to keep them there okay it's like you you're about ready to give up, and you see a cow walk by. You're like, dang, okay, there's elk here. And you're like, oh, and I know it's hard. It's, it's bird in hand, guys. It's hard to give up the bird in the hand, even though it's a freaking sparrow, and you're looking for a mallard, and you got to give it up to move to the other spot. Guys, you'll never regret. You will never regret exploring new country. Never. I've never moved my operation. I've never moved my in 30 years. I've never made a massive move. And said that was stupid. Even if I didn't, even when I didn't kill out now, I never moved to camp when six point bulls were running around and I was fighting for my life either. I mean, you know, let's be honest. You're not moving because things are great. You're moving because there's nothing or it's marginal. And the marginality keeps a lot of guys stuck in the rut. The other thing that, you know, that's really bad on Midwest guys, I hate to pick on Midwest guys, but I was one of them, and I did it. This is a really, really, really important aspect. And if you're listening to this, I hope you're paying attention to this. If you are a veteran elk hunter, okay, and you've been traveling from the Michigan, and you've done two years of elk hunting, like you guys have been, you have to be careful of a very, very serious problem. What happens is you're going to find a spot or you're going to run into elk or you're going to you had an opportunity last. You guys had opportunities. OK, and you'll be like, well, we're going back there. you got to be careful about going to the same places all the time because you've not you've got it already worked out. It's comfortable. You're like, you know where to go. You know where to park. You know, you've worked out the ins and outs. It's comfortable. Next thing you know. 10 years later, you're hunting the same damn spot. I know guys that, well, we're going to elk camp. I'm like, really? Where are you guys hunting? Oh, same place. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, oh do you mean like same place? Oh yeah, my family, we've hunted the same place 25 years. We just can't. And that's what we do. I'm like, huh, are there elk there? Well, we've killed a couple in 30 years. <laughs> and I'm like, but they just, that's their thing i'm not dissing them they love i think they like the camping and family part more than they like the killing part which nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that's your priority but if you're if you're going to kill elk you've got to go where the elk are okay i say in the course all the time guys you cannot kill an elk that's not there right and i don't care if you've got north facing slopes the best benches the best ranges the grass is freaking neck deep there's not a single hunter in there nobody there's no footprints you're off trail sometimes guys in the best let's say there's every elk finding all 10 elk finding features within a half mile there might be no elk there and you got to accept that reality and move on it's no problem hey the grass is greener if if the odds are if the elk aren't there the odds are the elk are somewhere else (laughs) so you're you're increasing your odds going somewhere else but you don't go somewhere else easily guys don't do it easily if they do not have it already worked out and when i mean worked out i mean all worked out i'm talking access driving directions campsites routes downloaded the maps already you've got all your hunt area maps already downloaded to your hunt application of choice everything's already built everything's already ready you're familiar with it you've done the zones per you are you're as intimately familiar with option number four as you are with option number one if you take that approach guys you're never going to be in camp remember what you guys said to me earlier you're like we're walking in there and we didn't quite know how to tackle this we didn't know we moved the camp we didn't know what do we ask each other what should we do Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're never going to say those words if you've got that written hunt plan. You just pull it out. Well, let's let's look at what we got here. Pull it out. Read it, guys. You're not going to remember everything you put on there. I write them out in writing. I have a template I use. Morning, midday, evening, every day. My strategy. Do I follow it every day? Hell no. Do I follow it most days? No. But I'm looking at it. And I'm just giving me ideas for the day that I'm working on. I'm like, tomorrow, I'm laying in my tent with my headlight on. I'm looking at my hunt plan. I'm like, oh yeah, man, I forgot about that spot. I'm looking at that ridge. I forgot I made some notes about that. I'm going to go there in the morning. I'm not going to do what I originally planned. In the morning, but but I got that information from my hunt plan. Does that make sense?
2: That makes a ton. I, of sense. I can't
1: tell you how valuable that is because you guys know you guys were hiking five freaking miles to find elk every day. Yeah. Just to get to the elk, and then how many miles you have to actually do to actually hunt the elk?
2: Another couple. And so you
1: guys, you guys had to be half brain dead.
2: Oh, we were, we were screwed. Well I mean, that was the so thing. You're so you're not
1: making good decisions. You're not processing information as well as you are at home when you're sitting around thinking about it. And but when you're in it and you're wet and you're cold and you're hungry and you're tired, your brain is just like, and that hunt play you play. Oh man, yeah, yeah, okay. We got some options. We got some options. I got more options. And you don't, people don't even realize what kind of pick me up, what kind of energy that you can get from those. op. When you read that option and you kind of forgot about it and you read it, like, oh man, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I, we got a plan. Right. God, it's so much better than laying in the tent, just scrolling your freaking R&X trying to figure out
2: where are we oh, going next? No, where are we going today? Yeah, because that's, you know, you can't what you're talking about is kind of like what happened to me last year is like, I kind of, like I said, put my eggs in the basket, but I had let my buddy, you know, like, he's like, Oh, I got the spots. I've been in scouting. And then like the week before we went out, it caught on fire. And he's like, well, I got some other spots that I was like, Oh man, now I felt like an idiot. Cause I'm, I'm going out there half-assed. You're you know? counting on him now. Right. And it's like, I won't let that shit happen again, but what you're talking about doing these hunt plans and stuff, I was laying in the tent, like you said, and I'm looking at my freaking, I'm using my base map and then it's like, okay, what, what, where am I going to hunt tomorrow? What are we going to do? You know, it's like, that's the worst feeling ever.
1: Oh, it's terrible.
2: And so having a hunt plan, like you might not use it, but when you need it, you got it, man, that would be I definitely would have been. Here's the thing too. Okay.
1: If you write out a hunt plan, like I described in this course, like it's like, for let's say, for example, on a seven day hunt, I recommend doing five days of hunt planning. You don't need to do seven full days because you're never going to plan a hunt for seven days and follow it for seven freaking days. Nobody's going to do that. But if you have five days worked out, that gives you enough days to add lib other days check things that you well let's be honest on day one you go up to ridge and you call elk and you call two bulls in, and you miss one you're probably going to go back to the same ridge. so you don't need seven days worked out is what i'm saying for seven day hunt if you go seven days and you work through an entire freaking if you're on a seven day hunt and you've gone five freaking days of your hunt plan you haven't seen heard or felt like you're elk at all You need to go to plan B anyway. So you don't eat sixth and seventh day because you're out of there in (laughs)
3: five.
1: So, but here's the thing. Here's what I was getting ready to say. When you do a hunt plan, like I'm saying, at the level I'm saying it, I mean, into the nth detail written out, almost planning routes, where are you going to get your water? Where are you going to freaking, where where are you going to call from? Where are you going to glass from? Where are you going to? what north slopes you're going to look at, what what benches you're going to climb up to and, and see if there's sign or rubs or whatever you're doing. Looking for saddles, see if there's trails for these saddles, all these features. If you write this all out and you do it for the days that we're talking about and different elevation, but there's a lot of factors go into this, not just doing it, but there is one element that people don't underestimate. They way underestimate, and I call it historical knowledge. When you go through the time to study it and look at your maps and look at Google Earth and your base map and whatever you're, and you're just studying and studying and studying. When you hit that field, you are educated. Your historical knowledge is just almost seeping out of your pores. I mean, I know it's hard to tell. I get excited about elk hunting, but um, guys, your historical knowledge is just elevated that's what next level hunters do you guys don't even most people don't realize how much I called my buddy just while well ago what are you doing oh, I'm studying some new hunters I'm like oh really I was doing that this morning and uh one of my worst things about creating this course I'd be looking at some spots for some samples and all of a sudden I'd find myself like the next unit over I'm e scouting I'm like damn it I gotta get back to the, I gotta get back to the freaking job here I mean <laughs> And cause I just would lose track and I'd be over in some outrage looking for another spot for me to hunt. And, um, so, but the historical knowledge that you're banking, it's like putting a deposit in the bank. And when you go on that hunt, it's available for withdrawal. Okay. There's no other way to describe it. No better way to describe it. But if you don't, you're like your buddy. Okay. He's got the spot. You're kind of counting on him. You've got no historical knowledge. When you roll into that plan B option, you're looking at him saying, "Well, where should I go
2: am yeah. I right Oh absolutely so what happened when we went to the third spot we we ended up staying in a motel and I was like, we need to get somewhere that's got some Wi-Fi because I need to download these maps and I yep, and so because yep. like you said, I'm going in there completely blind I don't even know what this area looks like at all, so I spent the night in the motel downloading the the maps my base map and then trying to get some knowledge of it and, you know, looking at it, you know, and they had hunted that spot two years ago and so they, you know, that's where my bo- buddy Mark wanted to go in and, you know, because he had, they had a base map or base camp set up where he could have his beer and, you know, do his <laughs> day know. hunts because he was the kind and of nothing guy. Wrong that,
1: right. Nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with that.
2: But he was like, well, the first He's the guy that didn't do any prep. You know, he like rode his bike twice and hiked the sand dunes with us twice, you know, bought his pack the week we were heading out. And the first we're we we're going, we packed in, we're going to pack in five miles on it. And we, we've planned for 10 days back in here. And in the first mile and a half, he got a blister that was so bad. We had to quit at three miles. <laughs>
1: well, and that blister was so bad that he had trouble even hunting after that.
2: Yeah. Luckily. Well, he had to hike back out in the morning and get his other boots. And he ran into a, uh, a smoke jumper. And cause he's like talking about this blister. He was going to go in and leave, get in the truck and go to a pharmacy and try to find something to, to, and the, and the smoke jumper like, dude, he's like, just get some duct tape. He's like, matter of fact, here, I got a little extra duct tape it and put your other boots on and suck it up. And he, <laughs> he made it. The duct tape was best. The best thing ever,
1: <laughs> but Luco well, tape. So that's another tip. So if you're going to, if you want to know what to buy, buy it, it's called Leuco tape. Yeah. Um, you got, you can't go in the mountains out. Luco tape in your pack. You just, you got your elk tag. And right next to that, you got Leuco tape. <laughs> and, um, those are two, those are top two, you, you know, foot problems. It's the biggest, it's one of the bigger hunt killers out there. Oh yeah. I mean, it's hard to guys, I, I, you're tough. I mean, even the toughest dudes are crying with that. It's just, you you know, like he said, get tough. I, I understand that, but the reality is it's a very debilitating situation. Yeah. It, when it gets, when it gets that bad.
2: it put him down, like I said, like he, he was, I mean, mile and a half and he was like, man. I'm hurting. And by mile three, he was like, we got to stop now.
1: See, and that's the other thing too. The minute you feel it, the minute, not a mile, not two miles, not when I get to camp, I'll fix it. The minute you feel something wrong, pull those freaking boots off right there. Get your duct tape out, get your Leuco tape, whatever. Take care of it right then. Yeah. And if you stop it, as soon as it gets hot, you Know when a blister, guys, you don't just magically get a four inch blister, right? You get a four inch blister because you won't stop, you just keep going until it's so bad, then you got a problem. But the minute it's hot, the minute you're having you're like, okay, I'll stop throw piece of tape on this, sometimes that's all it takes, right? And uh, like this bear hunt we went on, we crossed seven rivers and we were taking our boots off every time because it snowed, it was cold, so freaking cold and so we're wading across barefoot and we with crocs on and then getting the other side i'm kind of half-assed drying my feet with my socks throwing them on well then we started we killed a bear started doing this three-mile side hill business my feet were still damp. i mean i got hot spots okay i wasn't getting blisters yet but hot spots serious ones and i'm like i got so i stopped through a freaking half a roll of brook and luco tape on both feet boom never felt another never even never even knew i had a problem but i i know better to keep pushing it i've learned well the only reason i know better because i've freaking been in that situation
0: well it's a great transition like so one of the things that we talk about a lot with whitetail hunting and with you had mentioned like instagram and social media earlier um it's real easy for even podcasts like ours and you know, just everything that's out there trying to market to you about gear. We're in a real gear-driven yeah. uh, society and like uh, community. You know, with hunting and all the stuff that's in front of you yeah. constantly. Um, you know, and we kind of lean towards more. You know, experience, uh, woodsmanship, knowledge kills more deer than any bit of gear. Oh um, god! But sure. the other side of that is for new guys going out there, like guys like yourself with 30 years of experience and the, you know, the tape being one of them um, boots being important outside of, you know, your feet, what is another, I mean, important piece of gear and maybe something else that's maybe overhyped um, where you're going to spend your money or, you know, whatever.
1: Well, you know, we talked about the, foot problem. Boots are obviously an issue. They're they're a big deal. You can't, you know, and just because your buddy loves crispy boots doesn't mean you're gonna love crispy boots. I mean I hate to say this, but it sucks to buy a five hundred dollar pair of boots and then they just don't work for you. I've done it. My wife so my wife has some shoes. Okay, I'm a few. But when she goes down to my hunting room she goes, Dude, what in the freak? She's like, You got we gotta have a garage sale. I mean, you can't you can't wear those that many pairs of boots in the rest of your life. And I'm like, half of those boots I can't wear. She goes, well, you need to sell them. I said, well, you know, someday I might wear them. Yeah, I, you can't give up your boots if you're not. I don't know, just something <laughs> about it. I just something about it. You're never gonna wear them, but you're not gonna give them to somebody else. Um, but anyway, I have a lot of boots, and it took me a while to figure out which ones work for my feet, which ones work for my width, and things like that. So boots, obviously. You can't hunt elk with bad feet, guys. Oh, my gosh. You just can't. You've got that. Your feet, you can almost be wet. You can deal with a lot of things. You just, those feet, your feet get you everywhere you've got to be. And it's a, it's a big deal, really big deal. Do not underestimate it. As far as breaking a man, hiking with him, getting him used to. When you find a pair of boots, your might buy two, okay, have a backup pair, the same pair, same boot. And I know, it's, I know that's a lot of money. But it's your. It's. I'd rather put, don't. I mean, I, I don't want to diss any companies, but don't buy two hundred dollar hunting pants. Okay, stop it. <laughs> don't buy two hundred fifty dollar hunting pants. Buy a pair of sixty dollar prana pants on sale at Go Hunt, and dude, I I hunt thirty days in the same pair of pants. They're pranas. They're sixty six dollars. They're the best elk hunting pants on planet Earth, and. They're freaking from a yoga company. <laughs> and um, I I mean the first lie, the two all the I mean, I get it. It's great to say you you look good, but the money you save on those pants you can apply to some new boots. So, you know, there's a few things like that. Um, but the number one the, the one of the biggest things that guys run into, especially Midwest guys, is the water. Okay, guys, water. And I've learned this the hard way. Okay, I'm naturally like dehydrated most of the time it seems like i just don't drink enough water i did the 75 hard i just finished the 75 hard guys and um like less than a week ago one of the biggest struggles in that program i don't know how much you know about it, you have to drink a gallon of water a day i haven't drinking a gallon of water a day in my life even when i did iron man's i don't think i drank a gallon of water a day. i don't know maybe i did i but i just sitting around drinking a freaking gallon of water it was like it was difficult for me, but, oh, man, did I feel so much better when I started doing it. So I I can speak to this from experience. So when you come from the Midwest and you go elk hunting, you're coming from a humid environment, especially like Michigan and Missouri, I, all these. You're coming from a more humid environment where you're used to that humidity. And you're coming out to no humidity. And your body thinks it's not thirsty. Your body's like, huh, I'm doing great, but it's not. You are not sweating as much. You're like, okay, well, you know, no big deal. Most elk hunters do not drink near the water they need to drink, okay? So that's number one. So your water system, which I'm going to talk about, but number two is electrolytes. Because when you're not sweating and you're like that dry perspiration, you're still you're still losing that moisture. And guys will start drinking to compensate. So now they're drinking a lot of water. Now they're flushing electrolytes out of their system. So a lot of guys don't pack electrolyte stuff. Now, More now, guys, you know, Mountain Ops and Wilderness Athlete, and all these companies are now marketing that stuff to hunters now. So it's getting a little more known that you need to kind of do it. I'm not recommending those products. I'm just saying – I'm not saying they're bad either. I'm just saying that the awareness is more – like I use a couple of different things. I use Liquid IV. I think it's one of the best. Um, I'm looking at a bottle right. I'm looking at a freaking bag right here. I mean, it's not super cheap, but do I, I do one a day? Every day, I at least pack the. I have that Liquid IV pack in my water bottle. Usually, at first thing in the morning, I throw it in. If I'm really had a rough day and I'm freaking hiked like I might have one in the evening. They're super light to carry. They're not. They're not hard to carry. The next thing I carry, if I'm really feeling down and out, I carry the new powdered Pedialyte. That's more intense. And it's got a lot more flavor. And it's kind of hard to drink some. It's kind of thick almost. like um, It's just more intense than the liquid IV, but it's got more in it. So if I'm really down and out, I'll hit the Pedialyte with my water. Those are game changers, guys, when you're hunting. They, they're almost as important to me as my food. And... So that brings me to water. Okay, so here's a scenario. You tell me if this meet, if this happens to you guys. You're hiking down the trail. You're drinking your water, probably not as much as you should. You got your liter bottle, you got your camelback, whatever your whatever your system that you decided to go with. I quit using a camelback for a couple of reasons. I like the idea of having quick access to the water, but I can tell you why I stopped in a little bit. But you're drinking your water. Well, you hit a creek and you got half a bottle left, you should kill that bottle and fill it up and drink it and get another one. But you're not going to because your water filtration stuff's down in your pack. You got to take your pack off. You got to dig it out. You got to figure it, you know, you got to do the work and you're not going to do it a lot of times. And now you put yourself in a little bit of dehydrated state because of it. So planning out how to filter or, you know, whatever you're using, a pen or a, so or your, whatever you're using it's got to be quick access i mean it's almost like a separate pouch on your pack that you don't have just make it so simple and it's so effective you're so used to doing it and so effective that you never want to cross the stream without getting some water you your hunt will improve exponentially by just doing that now in your areas of low water um yeah, you know, that's a whole other issue. I carry these things called Hydropacks. They're like collapsible balls. You guys know what? They're really lightweight. They're like almost flimsy, but they're pretty tough. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a, they're a collapsible. They're thin.
0: Not I, familiar. Just, no.
1: Anyway, they're called Hydropacks, and there's a, several brands, but I always have one or two of those in my pack. They don't weigh anything, but when I hit a water, if I feel like we're hurting for water, I can fill those up, not treat them. I don't treat them in that. Just fill them up, throw them in my pack, and carry them to camp. Because what happens is if you've got a bottle and you've only got 32 ounces and you've got to cook a meal that night and you're using some of your 32 ounces, you're shorting yourself on your water. Does that make sense?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So having these extra vessels to put water in is important for gear too. So water treatment, easy access. I use a SteriPen a lot. I've switched to that over the recent years. I use Sawyer, uh, the so, those Sawyer squeeze. Their things are fast or easy. Um, I quit using the Camelback because I wasn't drinking enough water. I never knew what I had in my pack. I was always worried that I was running out of water, so I wasn't drinking. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah,
1: like I didn't know what my level was all the time, so I'm like – well, I, you know, I'm I'm just not gonna. I'm gonna save it for later. Save it for later. Save it for later. And I felt like, but when I could look at the bottle and I could see the level, I felt like I drank more. Even though the bottle is a little more cumbersome on your belt, you don't pull it. Out, you don't want to pull it out as much. I, I I like the ease of the Camelback type of things. I I really like it having quick access, but it's hard to fill up. It's harder to do than other systems you can get where it's you know it's a lot easier, but you really never know what you got. And I always felt that was a problem for me. So I just, in the last few years, actually just the last few years, I've switched off of that system and gone to a bottle system. I go with one Nalgene bottle and two hydro packs. And most of the time, my hydro packs are empty in my pack. They're just filled up like, like at camp. Or if I get a water source, I know we're getting close to where we're going to stop for a while. I'll just fill up one so I have some water, some extra water. And, uh, the SteriPEN pin is really nice, too, because you just can fill up, treat it, done. I keep it in my outside pocket, never even take my pack off. It just fits in my belt bu- pouch. I have a little belt pocket. It just goes in there. And uh, that's one of the reasons I really like it. It takes 90 seconds. Boom. Now, it doesn't work that great with cloudy water and stuff like that. You know, it's not that great for that. <laughs> but clear mountain water, typical type elk water for the most part, unless you're in New Mexico or Arizona, um, it works really good. So that's a good tip, too. So,
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think we've kind of gone through most of the stuff that I had on my list and, you know, a ton of other stuff that's extremely helpful. Um, you've talked a lot about the course. Um, where can people find the course and, and you know, uh, what? how did that come about, I guess? Um, well, of
1: course, you can get to it if, you, you know – It came about real quick. I know we've been going a while here, and I'm sorry. Sometimes I get real (laughs) long-winded and stuff, so I apologize if that was, you know, too much at times, but um, like I said, it's hard to tell I get excited about elk hunting, but I I just, I love it, and um, I just, and I now, to the point, I love sharing it, and I didn't used to be that way, and in my fifth, now I'm 55, so I feel like it's my time to give a little bit back. I mean, whatever I can give back. Again, I'm not a giant killer. I mean, I'm just not. I'm but I'm an elk killer. And um I hope to kill a few giants before I retire. I'm working on it. I've had oh I've had my chances. <laughs> and uh just you know, whatever. And uh but I love the pursuit. But anyway, I I I became good friends with Ryan Lampers and the dude's like probably one of the best elk hunter, mule deer hunters I know personally. Definitely in the top five. And just you know, just Really appreciate his friendship. And he started this thing um, called the Western Hunting Summit, which is starting this weekend. There's three weekends in a row starting this weekend. And three years ago. And he invited me. Him and I talked one time about a hunt. And I started giving him some e scouting things that I did. And, you know, whatever. He's like, dude, what? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, Google Earth. You can do cattle allotments. You can do fires. You can do all kinds of things with Google. He goes, he was just kind of surprised that you could do all the things with Google Earth that you can. I said, Yeah, it doesn't come that way, but you can install you, can, you gotta set it up. And I said, It's the ultimate platform for eastcounting, ultimate. And um, so anyway, he goes, Well, you should come to the summit and talk about it. I'm like, Okay, sounds good, that'd be fun. So I went to the elk Cutting Summit, talked to east scouting, and I just got so many great freaking responses. People were like Messaging me about all this stuff. So then I thought, I'll do a couple YouTube videos. And so I did, dude, and it's like your podcast. I mean, I did my YouTube videos like we're doing this podcast. They were two hours. And when I got done, I'm like, nobody's watching a two-hour scouting freaking YouTube freaking video. Who watches a two-hour YouTube video? <laughs> and I'm like, that's crazy. I got that's too much information, way too much. And, man, people were messaging me said, man, I've watched it three times. I'm like, do you not have a life? Like, do you, I mean, what? What do you mean you watch it three times? And I was like, and so I had all these plans to do YouTube. Well, you guys know YouTube. They're not very friendly with, with hunters nowadays. And you also know it's hard to organize stuff, like, in a, in a row, like chapters. You just keep putting out a video, and if they watch that one before the next one, There's no method to it, really. You just throw it out, and it's not in a good chronological order, whatever, et cetera. So I'm an IT guy by nature. I'm going to build a course, like an educational course, like a curriculum, like a college course. Because Elk 101, you know, when Corey Jacobson built Elk 101, it was more just about how to hunt, which is great, which I I highly recommend that course. But, you know, it covers some e-scouting stuff, but it's just not in-depth um and it's kind of one it, you know it's kind of one-sided it doesn't really cover a lot of on It didn't really cover a lot of go on didn't really cover point is it just, you know just what it was but it was an educational platform it was a website that it was protected like you had to sign up and you got access to a website and that's fine it works but it wasn't a course meaning it didn't track your progress keep track of where you're at um so you could start and finish it whenever you started you'd come right back to exactly I wanted that, so I researched a bunch of educational platforms, and I went with this one called Thinkific, and so I built in basically a university-style course, and it's 30 modules. It's right at 30 hours. No, it's 28 modules. I'm sorry. It's about 30 hours of training, so you'll be real sick of me by the time you get done with the course, Um, but I do think you'll get a few tips that you did not know about. (laughs) uh especially i'm kind of uh, you know i'm kind of pretty confident about it but especially when it relates to google earth and the elk finding features um i just think that there's a lot of things a lot of tech out there because here's what happens guys they get on x or they get whatever they use, and they learn how to use it and that's the end of it how many do you guys know how, what the limit of waypoints is on x how many no. waypoints you can actually have no idea yeah, nobody does. It's fifteen hundred. And after three years, a lot of dudes are hitting it now. And they're like, what's going on? I'm losing all my points. Stuff's jamming up. And I'm like, well, cause it's got a fifteen hundred limit. They're like, what? We're and the only reason I know it is because in the course I tested it. I, I I found out I imported data until it broke. And I tested them all. And just little things like that, it's beneficial. Everybody's like, Well, I'm never gonna have fifteen hundred waypoints. Well, you might not. But after four or five years of whitetail hunting and elk hunt, you could hit it pretty easily. Great. Right. Now I'm not in the first year, and that's one of the you know that was a flaw in Onyx. I don't think they realized ten years later that dudes might be at the limit. And I'm not dissing Onyx. I'm just saying that's a and others have limits too. And um, so anyway, um, all those things are kind of in there and more. And so I built it and um took me two years to do it and um i put a lot of work into it so the basically the, the style of it is it's got most of the modules are two parts the first part is theory meaning I, we talk about everything like the way it works and what my theory is on benches should they be three quarters of the way up on the slopes what degree of slope do, is best chain benches what kind of what's a chain bench what does that mean what is a latitudinal bench you know the elevation on the ridge why is that important we just theorize okay we talk about the theory of why elk do why they like these bench environments and then part two i go through six eight ten sometimes examples where i actually go topographic maps aerial photo break it down exactly what we talked about in the theory and we show in real life or not in real life but in examples in on x base map and go hunt Gaia, in, in, in Google Earth Pro, what it looks like and how to, and how to analyze it. And uh, so that's really the structure of it. And then it keeps track of your progress. And when you get done, you're done. And the membership lasts for two years. So you get two seasons, not just one. So, yeah, that's it. And I'd be glad. You know, most of the podcasts, I usually create a, a code for um, the podcast to give a discount to the people if they, you know, for having me on and stuff like that. So if you guys want to do that, just tell me what code you want it to be. And I'll set it up. Be $20 off is usually what I do for the podcast. And I'm glad to do it if you want to do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, I think guys will really benefit from that. And I've been actually messaging back and forth with a couple of guys on, uh, some of the whitetail courses and things. So, um, you know, certainly there's a, a need for this, uh, across all avenues and, you know, what you're doing as such, uh, I mean, it really is high level e-scouting, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different information out there online and that's certainly free, but it, it kind of ends up being, you know, what are the the little bit next level version of that? And then the organization and the theory behind it is, you know, I think where the real value is is, is putting it all together in one spot chronologically um,
1: well that's the thing you guys you know i'll be honest with you in 50 some podcasts i've been on talking e-scouting i mean sometimes people are like what are we going to talk about i'm like dude there's all kinds of stuff about. <laughs> you probably have access to everything that's in that course not everything there's a lot of things that's not going to be in there like that waypoint limit i've never said that before i don't know why it popped in my head um, well, I know why, cause I just had a problem with it.
3: For
1: <laughs> I went out a bear hunt and I was missing some waypoints. I'm like, why am I missing waypoints? And because way on X works that you can keep adding waypoints, but it drops off your oldest ones Right. and you don't, and you don't know it. So you're like, I know I got points for this. And they're like, where are they? And that's how I found it. Anyway, another rabbit hole, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I that's just one tip that I've never really mentioned before because it never came up. But if you listen to every 50 podcast, two hour, three hour podcast, like Cody Rich's, I mean, it's over two, almost two hours. And this one, probably close to two hours. And you could get it if you want to piece it all together. But guys, for $99 and have it laid out for you, like one step after the other, after the other, with demonstrations of everything we just talked about. I think it's worth it. And I wish he would have been, I would have killed for this when I started. I mean, I would have killed for this kind of information. And guys, we love elk hunting. We would, you wouldn't have this podcast if you guys didn't love hunting and the pursuit of hunting. Why would you want to go out there? I don't care if you buy the course, but certainly listen to some podcasts and educate yourself. But be as educated as you possibly can. You're spending thousands of dollars on this elk hunt and you're spending nothing learning how to elk hunt. Yeah. You're going to learn it on the fly, which does nothing wrong with that, but the odds are 5%. If you just like hiking in the woods with your bow, <laughs> that's perfect. I mean, more. I love it. That's what I did for a lot of years. I mean, I had some good success, but some of it was just stupid luck. Um And uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of being not serious, but. But what else in life, if you're going to work on your car, if you need to replace the heads on your car, do you just start yanking the heads off? Or do you look at a YouTube, do you watch a YouTube video first? <laughs> I mean, I know that's simple, but is it not true?
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, And so, 100%. you
1: know, education is something I think has been missing. Like, you look at photography and filmmaking, and I don't know what you guys do for work, but... We're always continuing to learn how to build web. We're, we're continually on the search to expand our knowledge base in a lot of other things in our life. But for some reason, as elk hunters, we don't. We listen to some entertaining podcasts, maybe some that I'm on not so entertaining. Um, but we you know, we kind of absorb it. We talk to some guys. But we make no investment in any structured education for the to pursue probably one of our most favorite things in life you know besides our kids and our family and god and our country i mean there's a few things that obviously come first but elk hunting for me and a lot of other dudes like me is pretty high on the list Yeah, and that's the whole reason i moved to montana guys the whole reason
2: that's like one of the i mean we did like before we went to idaho that was one one of the first things i did was i bought the you know, Elk 101 course because And that was the, a
1: good it was good, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was really good. You know, but it was Dude, a one just a
1: few tips. I mean, now you knew how to the gutless method, you probably felt because he does a really good section on that. Yeah. And you, you feel so much more comfortable. Like you feel like you can do it, even though you haven't done it. Right. And whatever, I mean he talks about the calling, what situational you know, situational calling. Great stuff. Yep. And but before that, guys, I mean, I'm sorry, but that was kind of the cart before the horse. I'm nothing, no diss on Corey, but you can't use the gutless method on an elk that you can't find and kill. Exactly. So before we start gutless method skinning and before we start calling bulls in, we got to put ourselves in a place that tends to hold those animals. Right. And um that was kind of the cart before the horse in my just in my little opinion, but
2: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely
1: Well, I know I get a little long winded, but thanks guys for having me on. I was looking forward to this podcast. I haven't done one in a while, so I was kind of excited about talking east out in a little bit. It's kinda of middle of summer, and i was kinda of thinking about elk hunting now and it's a good time for it.
2: So one question I always ask our uh, guest, what what's your bow setup? What bow are you shooting? What's your setup?
1: <laughs> well if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be shooting the new Matthews V3, 75 pound, 28 inch draw. But right now I'm shooting the Matthews No Cam from a couple years ago, or the Zero Cam, mm-hmm. uh, 75 and uh, 28 inch draw. Um, I like to use, uh, you know, I use cutting broadheads. I like I, two broadheads I use QAD, Kudo and nap 125s those are the three i kind of focus on i like a cutting tip broadhead i'm not a big fat fan. so many problems not me but my friends have come hunt with me with expandable broadheads on elk i don't want to get in that whole conversation. that's a whole debate i freaking get it i mean you can i mean there's nothing wrong with them i just have not seen success right Whitetails. i freaking slayed tons of white tails with freaking expandables but not elk i have not seen that much success. So I try to focus on harder hitting, heavier cutting tip or cutting you know, more cutting tip type Mm. and, uh, so no Matthews I've, I've shot Matthews most of my career guys, bows are like, I, I don't know. It's just, you get in a, almost in a rut. I need to expand my horizons a little bit. I just love them. And, um, they just shoot so good for me and fit me so well and I can work on it myself and um so i am trying to get a v3 so but i'm left-handed the problem is i'm left-handed too ah. so i have to get the left-hand version and sometimes they're not available and uh and i've been procrastinating i've been busy i've been i'm almost 30 days in bear hunting this year it's been a ridiculous number of days i've been hunting bears and um it's been the funnest bear year i've ever had and i haven't killed a freaking bear <laughs> um now we've killed a lot of bears, but I personally have not. And I got a little, I got a little picky, and now I'm paying the price. <laughs> now my wife's mad because we don't have any bear meat. And uh, so I spent too much time bear hunting. I should have been buying bows. But <laughs> anyway, that's what I shoot, man. I like Matthews, and um, I'm looking forward to trying that V3. I got several friends that are using it, so.
2: Yeah, it's a nice shooting bow. I shot it. What do you What do you guys use? I we just switched over. I have last year I shot the PSE, uh, okay. John Dudley's version. Um, okay. This year I switched over to we kind of all went. Well, Adam shot Botech or Diamond for the last yeah. several years, and so I picked up one of the Revolt X Botech Okay. And I was actually like tonight I was I met a couple guys at the club and working on their bows and stuff. And I was, you know, they'd you'd put it in the press and, you know, twist the yokes up and this and that for the other bows. And I just pulled out the Allen wrench set and I tweaked tweak the top cam over a little bit and end up getting my bullet holes with, without even putting the the bow in the press. So I was like, man, this is pretty sweet, you know, tuning a bow, you know, not-, not having to put it in a press. And so it's shooting, I got it shooting pretty good
1: well don't take my i mean people listen to this don't take my bow advice guys i shoot what shoots um i'm kind of one side you know i tell you to get educated i tell you to expand your horizons and then here i am telling you i don't try any other bows (laughs) so don't you know i'm kind of one of those guys that oh do what i say don't do what i do (laughs) (laughs) and uh so i have just had good i'm a Oh, it's like the guys that keep going back to the same hunting spots. I'm kind of like that with bows. I'm like afraid to leave something that's been so good to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The one thing that we talk about is like, shoot what's feels best to you. But then Mm -hmm. the the other thing too is, you know, like a lot of the the whitetail guys that like the real true killers that we've talked to, they, they shoot the same bow that they've shot for years. Like they don't go and get a new bow every year. It's like, we I know this bow kills, yep. so I'm not gonna, you know, they focus on all the rest of the stuff, so you don't yep. have to focus on all the, you know, the new you don't have to have the newest, greatest best bow, because it might not shoot good for you. you yeah. Know? But I did I, I originally was looking at the Matthews, but I was looking at the Atlas, because I shoot a 31 inch draw, and I like a little bit longer axle to axle. Oh,
1: geez, you're like freaking giant.
2: <laughs> so I, I got a pretty big wingspan. I'm 6'3", so.
1: My little 28-inch 5'9", I was like, <laughs> I, I. well, I, I, I'm going with the uh, 30. It's a 31, right? Yeah, the 30. You can get the 27 or 31. Is that right?
2: Well, 28 and a 30, and a half, 30, 30 Yeah, 30, I decided yep. not
1: to go with even even with my 28. I didn't go with the small. I'm not going to go with the smaller one. I'm going to go with the, you know, the, the the whatever, the bigger one.
2: Yeah, 31 it is.
1: So here we go. So, okay, I'm pretty geeked out on e scouting. Um, I'm not that geeked out on both. <laughs> <laughs> so I practice super good. I practice super hard to 75 yards. I'm freaking money. And I just work at that and work at that. And that's kind of the end of it.
2: That's the thing. Like you no. got to have the confidence in your equipment.
1: I know guys that feel like they they're not shooting if they don't put their bow bow in a bow press every single day, <laughs> and I'm like, no. My bow goes in the bow press like in emergency situations only. Um, and so yeah, so I'm not a good person to ask that. I I uh, I ask for. I've got a lot of good friends that are really really good. So I ask for. I have no problem asking for help, and that's one area that I do ask for. Um, a lot of help.
2: It's definitely like, like I said, I was looking at that Atlas and we, I actually talked to the, to the rep and, uh, she's like, yeah. And this is back early in the spring. She's like, we're looking at the earliest you can get that bow is June 21st. The earliest. That was the earliest. And this is like early, you know, (laughs) this was before the ATA. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what? I mean, we have our tax the taller to challenges this this coming week. I'm like, and you know, we like to test our equipment there before we go out west. It's the closest thing right. we we'll have. And it wouldn't even be in time for that. I'm like, yeah. Not going to do it.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. So, well, I'm going to send you guys two codes so you guys can check out the course and make your own opinion. And what code do you want to use for the discount for your audience? You can pick. What are, do you have one to use?
0: Yeah, if you just put uh, Chronicles, that's Chronicles.
1: Okay, yep. Chronicles. It is. So if you're listening, just use that, and they'll save you twenty bucks. And then maybe you can message these two guys and, and a, give them a couple of days to finish the course, <laughs> and uh, and they can give you their true, raw, un un um,
0: manipulated opinion.
2: Awesome! I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And where can guys go and check out your oh, stuff, sorry. your <laughs> course? Where can they yeah. find it?
1: TreeLineAcademy.net is the course, but you can get everything at TreeLinePursuits.com. TreeLine Pursuits is kind of my, if you want to call it, brand. It's kind of everything. My llama rentals, my guide, my llama guiding trips, my fly fishing training. Um, that's the other thing I love fly fishing too, and um, so. All that stuff you can find my, you talked about dehydrating. We can't get into that tonight. I'm more to you guys out tonight, but we should do another podcast about dehydrated meals. Um that's gonna be my next course. Um I'm 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 almost as geeked out on that as I am e-scouting. So um, but I have recipes, I have dehydrated equipment that I use, bags I use, all that stuff. Treelinepursuits.com and treelineacademy.net. And I hope you follow me on Instagram. I post most of my stuff up there just at treeline underscore pursuits well awesome.
0: awesome mark i really appreciate it and it's been i mean it's just been a pleasure talking to you and uh, oh man me thanks too. for taking I really the time
1: for meeting you guys <laughs> where are you guys hunting this year real quick you never told me where i mean what where are you guys going out west you, colorado you said
0: so i'm going back to colorado i'm doing a very out of my element and john gives me crap about it but um i'm <laughs> i'm ended up going uh, hunting with my dad and colorado uh, to a spike camp uh outfitter with uh, some okay. family friends and stuff so uh it's, it's during rifle season i'm bringing my bow um but i'm i'm working through the mental side of embracing the hunt for what it is and spending time with family and going out there and going to an area where you know theoretically they'll be elk there where i don't have to necessarily do all the work
1: um yeah yeah hey i've done a couple of them in my career and you know, nothing wrong, there's certainly nothing wrong, wrong with that. I mean, I freaking, if you're on limited time, limited resources, limited keep. Cap- I mean, and family, you got other limited, man, they certainly make it nice for different levels of fit. You know, all the things that go into it. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice way to do
2: it. I got to give him crap for it because it's an yeah. outfitter <laughs> stuff. Hey, but. You know,
1: at least he threw in, did you notice he threw, I'm taking my bow.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, there <laughs> I'm would going be. on a
1: rifle hunt, but I'm taking my bow.
2: Right, and that—that's the only. I'm like, all right, you're taking your bow. I—I I just lost my dad last year, and I told him, I'm like, you know, you're going with your dad, and I would—I yeah. would give anything to go on a hunting trip, you know, with my dad. So I can't yeah. give you too much shit about that, but you better kill one with your bow. <laughs> <laughs> but so I put in for Montana again this year, but I did not draw a tag
1: man you and everybody else gosh
2: so what i did do is i'm on the alternate list and then okay. we talked about going to colorado but like I said my buddy lives in montana so i'm like how about and last year he my buddy eddie you know like i dude i don't know where i'd be without him like last year he hunted but pretty much he could have just left his bow in the truck because he was, it was all about trying to get me an elk. And this guy is a badass going, I mean, like going up the mountain and stuff. Like I was kind of joking on this a couple of times, like, (laughs) we should go up there. All right, let's go. I'm like, really? (laughs) And uh, so, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to call for him and go, you know, just go on the hunt for him. Which it's it's a hunt for me too because I'll get to learn, you know, more not more there, knowledge. That, you know, I I'm glad you said that because
1: you know, there's a lot of new hunters out there. Maybe they just don't feel um ready. Um or whatever. But maybe they feel like they're ready like for from a physical and a backpacking and a survivalist and woodsmanship and bushcraft, they feel like they can handle that part of it. They just don't know if they're ready for the hunting part of it. Dude, go with someone that's hunting. I mean, it's a blast, especially elk hunting. You know, you know, like the calling part, the pursuit. Now, I don't know about rifle hunting as much. Be much fun, just being a sidekick, but still would be still fun. You're classing, you're kind of looking, you know. But man, there's nothing wrong with going out there without a tag. Nothing wrong,
2: right? So, I've...
1: and I think a lot of guys would benefit sometimes a lot more if they. For some reason, you don't got a tag or didn't draw a tag or missed every deadline, don't want to go to Colorado, freaking don't stay home, for God's sake. That's
2: right. the
1: worst thing you can do.
2: No. So that's what so, I'm doing.
1: Yeah, get some experience, get up. And you know what? You might be surprised at what you learn and observe. You're not stressing out about trying to fill a tag.
2: Exactly. That's what I was kind of like. might be surprised. It's almost kind of like a relief. I'm like, I can just go out and take it all in and get to help ed and then i did i did put in for my uh archery antelope which is pretty much a guaranteed tag so I, montana yeah so i'll yeah I'll,
1: yeah the 900 the 900 tag yeah, yeah yeah so
2: i'll hopefully uh be able to pick one of those out on the way there <laughs> but,
1: well good luck guys and um if you guys want to do another podcast sometime we should do one on dehydrated meals for sure absolutely guys you know campers high, and not just hunters i mean it's a man it's been an eye-opener for me just being able to do my own meals from a cost from a money standpoint from a just a healthier standpoint taste standpoint all of it. it's just i i, I wish i would have done it sooner that's my only regret with that is i always thought well i only eat this many i, I don't know but all the other applications I started using before, besides just making meals, and um, yeah, I really
2: I really dig that too as well. So, yeah, well, definitely. Well, thank you that. guys.
1: I really appreciate it. So, um, Chronicles is the code. I'll set it up right now. So by the time you guys launch this, it'll be ready to go. And I'll send you guys a, a text or email. I'll send you a, well, whatever. I'll send you guys a code for you guys as well. Thanks for having me. I
0: really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome, thank you. All right, good night, guys. Good night. Yep, good night.